you back. Good morning, my brother. Thanks for coming back, man. Hey, man. How'd hey. you sleep? Uh, I'm a little, you know, at the end of the program. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, though. Pretty good across the board. No, no complaints. It's uh, uh, just a crazy times right now. Some of the things that are going on around the world. So, yeah. Sometimes it's worth losing sleep over. Lots of crazy shit going on right now, man. <laughs> there is, too. It's nuts. I, uh. I slept better because I didn't. I did need a fucking um, an edible last night. When oh. I when I don't eat the edibles, I sleep better. Ah, it's weird. I sleep harder when I eat them, but I don't wake up feeling better. Like when I don't eat edibles or I don't smoke weed before bed, I wake up feeling way more rested. It's, uh, odd. it's odd. I don't know why. Yeah, like I say, I'm just struggling to that point of it right now where cannabis seems to do the trick no matter what i'm doing and the yeah. edibles always help so <laughs> i'm sure at a certain point there's just nothing that weed can't fix amen amen <clears throat> so what have you been up to man listen man just watching a lot of new things are going on around the world right now it's been uh, been an amazing time i think that we look at some of the paranormal phenomena that's going on and you can't help but get get involved with it um mm. it's so interesting um i don't know how many of the shows you've been following or watching you know you've got skinwalker ranch my God, I think right now you've got tw- about 18 to 20 different shows that are on. Yeah, there's so many fucking so, shows. People, the the whole you know UFO, UAP phenomenon right now is just like, it's so much bigger and mainstream than it's ever been. And with like the news that came out with the Pentagon acknowledging it, it just makes me so skeptical of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. You no, know, because you always... Truly amazing. It's like, what's there? Why? You know, back in the 50s and the 60s, it was like, deny, deny, deny. And now it's, okay, these things are here. So I automatically say, okay, whatever the the government's telling us, I'm going to automatically assume the opposite. And, and listen, obviously they've trained us that way. I think at the end of the day, when you start looking at some of the stories that come out and how they're being uh, presented, especially with the with the Pentagon coming out and saying, hey, listen, UAPs are real. We're not sure where they come from. We're not sure what they're about. Um, they haven't showed any aggression. Um, and then you've got, air, you've got some of the uh, pilots from coast to coast, uh, up and down the coast of Florida, who uh, had the run-in with the, the gimbal, they call it. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other guys on the other coast had a run-in with um, uh, a UAP that they call the Tic Tac. So some of these vehicles are just so amazing. Um, as, as the one pilot that had talked about the event that took place off the coast of Florida, everybody said, well, isn't this classified information? Because you're about to tell He goes, no, listen, it's a safety concern. He goes, when I initially witnessed this, we saw them on our radar, on our new uh, systems that we had, but really weren't sure what we were looking at. Wasn't sure if it was just background. And he goes, then we actually saw one, and it came between uh, this particular pilot and his co-pilot, who was his wingman, and actually split the plane, went between them. And it scared the pilot so bad. He said, I didn't know what it was. It was a circle with a square inside. And it flew by the, it got so close to our aircraft, because my concern was not necessarily on, on what's classified, but what's safe for us flying in the air. He goes, if we hit one of these things, they said, we believe that we're going to be, you know, the ones, that, oh, look, they crashed because he wasn't a good pilot versus um, something hit the, hit the plane. So mm-hmm. he said, I want to make everybody aware of that. So that's, he goes, I didn't care whether it was classified or not. I was going to come out and explain to the people that this is a safety issue. It has nothing to do with, you know, aliens. He said, I'm, I don't know. That's what it was. What do you think that Tic Tac really is? Like what, my opinion on it has changed, but what do you think it is? I think it's definitely something that the U.S. has. As yeah. long as I've been following the, this trend of UFOs, um, I've never seen that Tic Tac in any photographs or pe- had people talk about it. Um, what's interesting about this is that, you know, obviously the Tic Tac takes two different looks. If it's coming at you, it looks round. And if it's going uh, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? If it goes, flies at an angle by you, you can actually tell that it's a long projectile with nothing, no wings, nothing on it to the outside. So, and it's obviously something that's anti-gravity, has the ability. I've heard that some of the individuals talk about within the federal government that DARPA and some of these other groups are 400 years ahead of time. So obviously looking at a vehicle like that, if it's 400 years ahead of us, technology-wise, that's doing some amazing things. Yeah, one of the theories of it being time travelers is very interesting to me. Like, it could, because they they kind of, like, appear and reappear out of, like, like, out of, they're not, it doesn't seem like it's real matter. Like, you know what I mean? It seems like... Not only is it, there's no real photographs of it. Like, you would think if there was something like this, we would be drowning in photographs and videos of it, right? But we're not. Right. So, it's, if if that's the case, it's almost like whoever is maneuvering these things has control of that. And they have the ability to manipulate light, manipulate uh, space-time, and avoid detection like that. So just like the idea of it being time travelers to me almost makes more sense than anything. Well, it's crazy too because when you when you think about this, for the most part, like, like let's look at Skinwalker Ranch real quick. They're talking about these portals that are opening up, and they actually believe. And, and listen, when I originally heard this, I kind of chuckled at it and thought, you know, why are the why are the, is this group of people saying this? But they talked about Bigfoot, or they talk about Skinwalkers coming through these portals. Well, watching the skin the uh, Skinwalker Ranch program that's on TV right now, a couple of nights ago, they were trying an experiment. They're trying to shoot these rockets up into space because there's some sort of phenomena about a mile above the, the actual property. And they're trying to figure out what this, this phenomena is. Every time they shoot something up into it, it gets like bounced off of it. During the process of this, they've got cameras running all over the place. And they've actually picked up some lights. And they actually refer to them as portals. They're asking the question, are these portals that these, these uh, creatures are able to pop back and forth from? Now, I initially kind of chuckled at some of this because I thought, you know, why would Bigfoot, why would the government be interested in keeping Bigfoot or Hairy Man or Sasquatch a secret from everybody? It didn't make sense to me originally. I said, this doesn't make sense. I watched a program the other night, and they said, listen, they believe, and this, and this is a program called um, uh, Exhibition Bigfoot. Dr. Uh, Moya Alexander, who's on there, is a leading professional in, in paleontology uh, and information with regards to animals especially gorillas and uh, other uh, animals that walk upright. So she, she began to evaluate this whole program and started looking at it and found these lights, these portals, um, these orbs that were floating around. And I started to kind of chuckle, but you start seeing them on TV, and she doesn't understand what she's looking at. Now, keep in mind, too, as a doctor, she can't lie. If she lies about anything that she is involved with, she runs the risk of losing her, her medical license across the board so when she comes out and starts talking about some of these events that are taking place you kind of scratch your head but she said that one of the interesting things was that and that she believed that bigfoot had the ability to cloak himself well when i started thinking about it the federal government would love to know how that's happening and whether it's happening with his fur or his hair um, they're really not sure but they definitely believe that he's somehow cloaking himself and watching the program, they were able to actually videotape some material where they saw a shadow, but no actual body. And they looked at it from 10 different angles, trying to figure out what it was. And it more or less proved their point with regards to, there is something bigger that's going on. Is, is it truly time travel? Is it, are they using these portals to 
um, you know, travel around the world. Also, you know, all the, all the other planes that are out there, these different um, uh, backdrops for where they come from, different planets or different uh, time zones or different, you know, areas of phenomena that occur to try to figure out what these things are doing. Are they sent here to monitor the planet Earth? Um, everybody ties them in with, with the UFO phenomena, which I'm starting to actually buy off on, which I initially had no inkling. I thought, no, that's not, that's ridiculous. What would these things have to do with each other? I think that's one of the reasons that people are able to, to dismiss it so much, honestly. Because when you start talking about UFOs and then you start talking about Bigfoot, you're like, oh, come the fuck on. Oh, like, yeah. Can we just talk yeah. about, like, do you have to be a Bigfoot expert and be a UFO? Like, Bingo. once you do that, you're just like, that's kind of like, even me, like, you kind of like, people, like, you lose me sometimes when, when you talk, when people talk about that. Like, automatically, if you're into UFOs, you, you're automatically interested in Bigfoot and, you know, all these other things and these conspiracy theories. And there's, there's just a stigma to it. Well, it sounds so funny because your whole life you're told there's no monsters. You know, there's nothing out there. It's all safe and warm and fuzzy. And then as you start to listen to some of these shows, you know, they start talking about um, UFOs and individuals being taken from their beds at night, you know, and having all these different uh, uh, programs and processes done to their body to figure out what's going on. <laughs> And I can't believe that all these people are not being truthful. I mean, some of these people, you can go back to the 40s and 50s when there were some, a couple that was uh, taken out of New Hampshire, Betty and Barney. Um, they were a couple, black and white couple. He was black, she was white. Betty and Barney Hill. Be- there you go. Yeah. And they were actually uh, uh, in, coming home one night from an event that took place and had a run in with a UFO. Mm. And to listen to him go under uh, hypnosis, hypnosis and, and listen to him the terror that's in his voice as he realizes that these are something else other than earthly entities is very real. So I don't think that, you know, people like him and they didn't want that attention initially because they were a black and white couple. And back in the sixties, mm. that wasn't something that was real popular. Mm-hmm. So I think to, to, to watch what he did to step out, to try to make people aware of um, the fact that these things are real and that it's going on. And, and the stories just continue to build. <clears throat> I mean, well, it, it's it's interesting. What you know? Do you remember what year the Betty and Barney Hill story came out? Like was it was that in the fifties or the sixties? I think it was the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, I want to say probably like sixty two, sixty three. What's interesting is about this whole UFO phenomenon is that when the the first stories of flying saucers broke in America, I think it was nineteen fifty two, and there was a story published about flying saucers flying over Washington D.C. I remember the story. What else happened in 1952? The very first H-bomb ever detonated on Earth. Well, there you go. When the United States tested that uh, Mike, the sure. first H-bomb off the Pacific, those uh, Pacific Islands. Um, so, it's, so what was that? Did we send a signal? Did we send a signal to the cosmos saying that, hey, we now have the technology... We're, we're close to discovering our source code. Oh, we're, we are close to being able to visit you. Absolutely. I think, too, when you look at the, the bigger consideration, I think there's, uh, there's something going on with the planet. I don't know whether it's mineral-driven. <laughs> I mean, if you go back and if you look at the, um, the kind of the way it's laid out, if you look at the group called the Anunnaki when they came here to this, country, to this planet, um, they're kind of painted as an alien group that wanted the resources of gold. And would actually grind the gold up and eat it. And they said it actually made their bodies uh, like, a, like a semiconductor just more efficient across the board. 
which is bizarre in itself. But if you take it and you start looking back from that point on and go forward, it's not so odd. You start to see some of the similarities. You start to hear some of the things that are um, that they talk about in the Bible as really not so much a, a spiritual thing, but more as a uh, as an entity or an alien. And basically, they're just coming down here for the minerals. Um, I think when you start to review most of the stories, it's about that. They're still looking at us from across the group. I, I've heard through Project Disclosure that there were 60-something different alien life forms that were actually coming to this planet. And Project Disclosure? Project Disclosure. Project Disclosure came out in 1998. It was um, uh, put on by uh, a group of scientists who brought in, I think I want to say 46 or 47 former military personnel, all with cryptozoological uh, uh, classifications, and they uh, would um, begin to tell you some of the things that they had experienced or had, they had what they had actually seen. Uh, one of the guys there was said that he was uh, his primary job was to review video footage of combat and to look at what you know where the enemy was and where we were positioned at. And he said in the process of this, they brought him into a, a back room, and he said I was waiting for my chief petty officer to come back to show me some additional information on the video. When one of the guys in the room called me over, he goes, Hey man, come over, check this out. And he said, so he walked over and the guy said, Hey, this is the dark side of the moon. And those buildings are not ours. So he said, as I stood there, I realized I didn't have the classification or the security clearance to be looking at this. And he goes, I was actually got afraid because I thought my, my chief petty officer is going to come back in and see me standing over here and I'm going to get in trouble. So he kind of walked away from it. He goes, but it was that moment when I realized, Hey, there's something bigger going on. Why would that guy begin to even tell me that? And again, we were in, a, in a, an environment where it's classified information, so everything's going to be precise, or it's going to be his best guess. And at that point, that's when I began to realize, hey, there's something bigger than, than all of us that are truly going on around the world. And so he began to, began to get more interested in it, and this group began to get more interested in it until they actually came out. And in this group, again, called Project Disclosure. Um, it was a, a, a great group of people that came out. Um, they all had something different to say about the you know what took place, uh, what's going on within the the uh, uh, federal government, how they're doing it. You had another guy that came out who was the, uh, one of the, it wasn't a prime minister of, um, of Canada. He was the defense minister. Mm, and he yeah, came you out, mentioned him before. Yeah, and he came out and said, hey, you know, the UFOs are as real as the planes that fly over your home. And then he made a comment that he said that the, the uh, American had been dealing with the tall whites, which supposedly is this very tall, Nordic-looking, blonde hair, blue-eyed group of folks. But the, the U.S. had been dealing with them for probably the last fifteen or twenty years. Well, here's the th- here's the interesting thing about sp- specifically the Tic Tac uh, UFOs. So, if the t- the Tic Tac uh, UFOs that uh, Commander David Fravor spoke about um, flying off the coast of I think it was San Diego, correct? Um, the way the exact way he describes those things, how f- the way they moved, how fast they moved the shape of them, how they came up from out of the water. There was a video posted, I think it was by uh, Jordan, I don't know if you can find this, but there's a video that was posted by James Fox. He's a director who, who works on a bunch of, uh, he's worked on a bunch of documentaries in, on the same subject. And he posted a video of a pilot from, I believe it was the 70s or the 60s, being interviewed describing the same exact kind of UFO. When he was flying somewhere, he, I forget where he was flying. I believe he was flying from like South America to America. Oh, so it was an international flight of some sort. Yeah, yeah, an international flight of some sort. And he describes this exact same object. 
in the 50s. So if this was going on, if, if, if people had reported seeing something just like this in the 50s, like what are the chances that we would have had that technology back then? Oh, and, and listen, that's really, I think, the, the biggest conception or misconception on this whole thing. You know, we talk about from the 50s and 60s because we just finally get some sort of proof of or some sort of uh, 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 confirmation that these things actually exist and are around. I think, you know, when you look at, listen, we go right back to Ancient Aliens, the show. I think we've all seen the show Ancient Aliens at all. Yeah. And, dude, they, they show so many things there that make you think about where we really came from and what we're doing on the planet to begin with. Um, and that you go back and you look at some of these flying machines that they perpetrate in the, the art from the 14th and 15th century. Um, I think that all these artists saw something in the sky or, or aware of it. And the time, too, you know, you couldn't actually talk about extraterrestrials or other planets because the church ran everything mm-hmm. and if the church thought you were running against them they're going to put you to death they're going to say you're a witch they're going to you know make up this the situation and put you to death and that'll be the end of it yeah so i think some of these artists put them in the drawings just to show uh kind of a silent method of showing hey there's something in the skies uh, the weird thing about these shows is the show's like ancient aliens and even the even the skinwalker ranch show there's something about them that just kind of like doesn't do the subject any favors. Like it, I'm sure it, like it gets people interested to an extent, but the fact that it's like I've watched them and I've been involved in in creating television and I just there's so much manufactured drama in those shows, especially the Skinwalker Ranch show. You know, there's so much that goes on with coordinating those people and setting up shoots. Like these things aren't just randomly happening while they they happen to have a crew there. There, there's there's a lot of money that goes into producing these shows, and they have to be on schedule. They have to have things set up. Like uh, they're setting. I guarantee you, they're setting up 99 percent of the things that are happening during that show. I'm not saying that none of those things have happened. Like I, I truly believe that. I mean, there's no way. Anybody could rationally explain the fucking cattle mutilations that have been happening sure. on those ranches. Sure. Like these cows that have been meticulously cut with zero drops of blood anywhere. And these cat, like you said, they were stacked on top of each other. There's no blood. The organs were removed perfectly with precision, like some sort of surgeon mutilated these cows. Sure. Like there's Absolutely. no way of explaining this stuff. But these shows, the TV shows, and dramatizing it like that and having these things set up just from my understanding of how television production works it's like i can't take it seriously i have to see like like my whole thing is there why isn't the scient the real scientific community like the real scientists and researchers out there why aren't they debunking the shit out of skinwalker ranch Sure. Well, I mean, listen. T- look at look at Travis. Uh, uh, Travis Walton. Travis. No. Well, this is a Travis. Um, what the heck's his last name? He's a he's a PhD. He's a he's a scientist. Mm-hmm. He is comes from a, a heavy background in this whole thing, and he's the one who got invited to Skinwalker Ranch. And he initially said, "Look, I thought I was going to get out there, and I'm going to tell these guys, hey, here's what's really going on. This phenomenon that's happening. It's not this this covert secret. You know, anything. There's there's a reasonable explanation for all that's going on. He goes from one of the first guys I met here, he said one of the first things they told us we couldn't do was dig on the ranch. Mm. Can't dig on the ranch. Can't dig on the ranch. The one, one of the, the hands that actually came up thought, that's ridiculous. That's the most retarded thing I've ever heard in my life. And he goes, so he actually started, he went out and bought a bobcat and was doing some work on the ranch, and he was digging. Um, somehow, 
the top of his skin on his skull separated from the skull and the fatty material. And he ended up having to go into the hospital. And this just was the event um, from digging. Now, he didn't actually kept saying, oh, this, this isn't real. This was just something that, I mean, the doctors don't understand why this happened. So when Travis Parker came on the show, who's the, who's the scientist the, the, uh, with the PhD, um, he started to look at this and said the only thing that could have done that was microwave energy. Um, so it would have to be directed microwave energy. So he said, for me, that was odd because, again, where the hell is this energy coming from on the grounds here? So he goes, as we started to kind of monitor this energy, this fluctuation that was going on, we noticed that um, it was associated with the phenomena. So they brought in, they, again, additional scientists to come in. They, wanted to, they were looking for a portal that was in one of the buildings. And what they brought in, they brought in some uh, thermal cameras so they could videotape this. And in the process of videotaping it, the front of the door turned very, it was like 20 degrees colder than the rest of the house. And this was kind of the first thing that took place that really got Travis's attention. Like, hey, we can't explain why it's 20 degrees colder. Even, in, even during the, the filming of this, they had a small orb that came into the picture, which, again, they're looking through a thermal camera. So he said, if that was a live animal, it would come out orange. This thing was blue, blue indicating it was cold. So he said, I don't, I don't know what would be able to travel like that through the air and not have a color other than something that was cold. So a, as he began to get farther and farther into trying to debunk these, all these different theories that were going on, the, uh, nothing more than more and more phenomena kept occurring. Um, they, between phones not working, batteries dying, every group they brought out there to run specific scientific tests encountered some sort of a problem that would not allow their equipment to work properly. Um, they brought out a group of um, astrologers because they wanted to map the sky above this, what they're calling the triangle. And so they bring these guys in with all this heavy, uh, super complicated equipment to look to map out the skies. And for some reason, when they pointed their, their cameras, these big telescope cameras, into this uh, mile-high area, they could not get a reading on any of the stars. It would not allow them to, to read the stars. So every time some event took place, there was something that was blocking it that would not allow it to happen. The guy said, this has never happened before. This has never happened before. I don't know what's going on. I can't. I'm trying to get a copy of the, of the stars so that the, the uh, telescope knows where we're at. And it'll recognize all the different constellations and the different planets. Because it takes me about five minutes to calibrate it. Now, if you moved it away from this area that they were videotaping, he goes, I didn't have any problem. I could get a lock on it right off the get. But it was like there was something blocking the actual video there. So, again, Travis being there is trying to figure out, hey, what is causing this? So the phenomena continued to get bigger and bigger until they ended up doing some uh, ground-penetrating radar and found something underground. Um, they didn't know what they were looking at. They decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to start drilling. So they decided to drill into the mesa. As they drilled into the mesa, these strange phenomena began to happen. And they pulled out this metal. And they initially didn't know what the metal was, uh, but they pulled it out in chunks, hundreds of pieces. And they decided to send them off to one of the universities there in Utah to have a metallurgy done to figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. And the guy came back and said, dude, it, it, it's two things. It looks like a high-grade semiconductor material, but it also looks like the same stuff they put on the outside of the shuttle so that when it, when it re-enters the atmosphere, it doesn't burn up. And he goes, so what would this be doing under a mesa in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So the, the plot just continues to get thicker and thicker with regards to what they're looking at. They also, they also viewed, um, went back and viewed the film and saw this light that moved across the sky. And, of course, the first question that came in, is that a portal? What is that thing moving across the sky 
that has it's just a white light looks like it's flickering and they they all nobody could see it when they were originally just watching the video itself they had to go back and review the the actual video to see it on there so whether it had cloaked itself or it was hiding in some sort of a manner where they couldn't see it originally but these are all the events that are taking place on skinwalker ranch that continue to mystify everybody um when when you go back and you look at the uh, the original group that that owned the ranch with the shermans and then when bigelow came into the to the picture um they worked on there for 20 years now there's some stories that they pull up some metal that was bigelow owned it for 20 years for 20 years and worked with the federal government to try to figure out what was going on there and i'm not sure what the process were for him to sell it from from uh well, he only bought it for two hundred grand. I'm sure he sold it for millions. Uh, and again, yeah, that, that never actually comes up. But I'm sure. Listen, this was something that was phenomenal. Whoever wanted to learn more about this was going to buy the property. So obviously, I think right. he probably knew that as well. So I'm sure he probably got. It, I'm sure he got his investment back. Here's the thing about people like him: the guy, and this also ties into the TV show. Okay, the billionaire who bought Skinwalker Ranch from Bigelow, whoever owns it now, he's a fucking star of the show. And that's a thing about people with money. If they're not already in the spotlight or they don't have attention, they want attention. Like, sure. They're rich. Now they want to be famous. So if I'm a fucking millionaire and I'm like, oh, I want some more, you know, I, I want some more attention. I want a TV show. I want to be, uh, I want to buy this. This will be a perfect opportunity for me to get famous. Sure. So I'll buy Skinwalker Ranch and now I'll have a fucking deal with Discovery and I'll be the star of a TV show. And the, and the guy's in every fucking episode of the show. Oh, yeah. Now, listen, Brian Frugal, he, uh, he's the owner. He's a real estate mogul. Big, big time obviously in Utah. Um, his thing is they actually do a bio on him in the show when it first started because his interest was, like so many others, hey, what is it with this phenomenon? Where do we come from? You know, who's visiting us? And so he was, I was really more interested in the dynamics of the events that took place on the Sherman Ranch. Um, you know, when you have, he had a, a nephew that came down and um, on the ranch, this was, I want to say, probably the second year they had the show on. And he said that, he was there with his uncle one night. They were out walking the dogs. Because it was probably dusk. Just the sun had just gone down. And these orbs came down off the mountain. He said they stopped and watched them come down. They were blue orbs. And he said as they came down, they went across the top of the trees. Well, the dogs kind of wigged out. And all the dogs all of a sudden took off after him and ran into this wooded area, I don't know, a couple of hundred yards away from where they were at. And he said we heard the dogs yelp and then nothing. We didn't see the lights come back out. Nothing happened. So we, we, we looked for them that night, couldn't find them, came back the next morning. And something had crushed them into the ground. Mm. And there was a burn mark all the way around them. But all three of the dogs had been crushed into the ground. And the, the guy that was there said, is this what they told you? And he goes, I was there the day this happened. He goes, I was actually living with my uncle when this event took place. He goes, this wasn't something he told me. This is something I saw. So it was those events that began, and they, and they started to look at this blue, this blue uh, orb as being malevolent. They said, this thing was evil. It was mean. Um, they got that feeling from the first time it came down from the hills as to what it was. But it's coming off the mesa. So everything gets directed back to the Mesa. They start looking at, you know, what's under the Mesa. They had brought back one of the security guards that had worked for Bigelow originally. And he worked there for six years. And he told the guys, hey, there's a cave over here on the side of this Mesa that we don't know where it went. There was some strange sounds coming out of it. We never got involved into it. Now, the nice thing about this new group with Brandon Fugel's group is that they're bringing these uh, meters with them that read um, the different... Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The difference in uh, energy coming out of some of these holes. They don't know what's going on. Um, uh, Travis Taylor got burned, uh, and these were actually burns on his face that occurred from looking into a, a, an old well. 
Um, two of the other guys there that were standing outside the well, one of them during the investigation got lightheaded and almost passed out. They grabbed him to the side and they brought him over. Um, about two months later, they played a frequency. There's this, this ongoing frequency that seems to be on the ranch. It's 1.6 gigahertz. And they're trying to figure out what runs at 1.6 gigahertz on the planet that would be making this sound. And they've come up to the conclusion that they can't find absolutely anything that operates off of 1.6 gigahertz. So what they did was they went to a radio station and they said, every time we play this, something happens in the air. We get these UAPs all over the place. So they went to the radio station and had them blast it over the internet. And that night, he goes, things went crazy in Utah. He goes, so they were trying, now they can make these things happen almost at random. He goes, so now we take this 1.6 gigahertz and he was talking to another, uh, one of these other astrophysicists about what were the chances that this could be a signal from space. And so they sat down and talked. He goes, if this is a signal from space, it'll always come from the same location all the time. Because you also want to have anybody else that's in the area aware of this so they also can listen for it. So it's not just you getting it. It's them as well. And so he started going through and trying to figure out what equipment on the planet works at 1.6 gigahertz. And there's nothing. He goes, microwave ovens don't do that. Airplanes don't do that. There's no communications that do that. Everything, even though it puts out an RF signal, again, even microwave ovens, um, there was still something odd about this 1.6 gigahertz. And every time they play it now, something shows up in the sky. And it's just, it looks like the last night they identified it as a tic-tac. They said, hey, dude, that's what the tic-tac looks like. And this was uh, two na- former Navy uh, communication guys that were on the boats with David Fravor when they saw that tic-tac that night. And they said, we watched it for over two hours. He goes, I was lucky because I just happened to be up in the, the, the primary uh, command center for the ship. And he goes, but once they first saw these, they locked everything down. He goes, so I got to witness the whole thing from beginning to end and trying to figure out what the hell these things were around the ship. Because um, people say, well, why didn't you shoot them down? You know, what? He goes, we didn't, we didn't feel like that there was a violence going on. We didn't, there was nothing locking on. There wasn't any weapons being used. He goes, so we just wanted to more or less look over and try to figure out what the hell are we looking at here? So as, as, as more and more people get involved with it, especially on the scientific level, the, the questions get bigger and bigger. So Skinwalker Ranch right now, dude, every time they play this 1.6 gigahertz, something happens in the sky. So they're trying to, again, really understand what this frequency is. You know, what, what does it bring into the forefront? Why do these things keep responding to it this way? Well, Skinwalker Ranch, the weird thing is, is that like now you're connecting UFOs with demons, Sure. Because the skin, like the legend of Skinwalker Ranch was these two Indian tribes, right? Like the Utes. Were, the the Utes, Utes and the Navajos. Yeah. The Utes and the Navajos. And right. the what Utes, was the story with them? Uh, the, the Utes and Navajo were, had an a ongoing battle. And I want to say, I believe it was because the Navajos were actually working with the Americans at the time. They were mm-hmm. helping them understand you know, what, what the land was all about. And the Utes did not like that at all. They did not like that. So the, the, the uh, Navajos... Or excuse me, it's the other way around. The Utes were working with the government, and the Navajos didn't like that, so they put a curse on these guys. And that's what it consisted of, is this, this skinwalker thing that has the ability to turn, I guess, from a human to an animal. And it seems to go most likely like a wolf. And even on, during Skinwalker, he said they had found these huge footprints that were up on the, on the, uh, up on the mesa. And he said but the strange thing was that they followed the wood tracks till it turned into footprints. And the guy said, I'm not saying that this thing turned back into a human entity, but where did the footprints of the wolf go versus where these footprints of the humans came from? So, again, just another question that gets thrown up that makes you say, well, wait a minute. And I, I don't, 
I mean, here's the here's the situation. When you look at uh, Exhibition Bigfoot, when you look at um, the Skinwalker Ranch, and you're looking at the players who are trying to figure out what's going on, I listen. I believe all these folks now. Could there, you know, be something going on in the network side where they're actually playing games, uh, making wood knocks or making these adventures? I would say, okay, that's possible, but I don't think it's likely. So I think when you start looking at, again, what these guys are trying to investigate, you know, it's all related, whether it's um, UFO on in there, whether it's the Skinwalker, um, whether it's portals, uh, they, they all seem to be related. And especially right now, I mean, again, dude, we've got over 20 shows that are on the programs right now dealing with all this. Well, it's so fun and it's so fascinating and it's so entertaining. So there, I mean, there's money in it. You have a fucking, I mean, you, you have a built-in audience for this kind of stuff, especially the more wild, the more outrageous and the more over the top you make it. It's just, it just, it just makes it that much more exciting. And the thing, the thing about it is, is just like, I'm, in, I'm so interested in the stigma that revolves around it. And especially when it comes to UFOs, because you know, so many people, when you start talking about UFOs, like uh, I could have a conversation with somebody about this, about this topic. And then once they start talking about demons and Bigfoot, it's like, whoa, you're, you're losing so much credibility. And the thing about it is I was just watching a video the other day or yesterday with this guy. Um, what the fuck was his name? Uh, motherfucker. He was talking, oh, Hal Putoff. He, Hal Putoff was a guy who founded that organization called To The Stars. Okay. With the guy from Blink-182. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yep. And he was talking about um, the government's weaponization of stigma. And how the government will manipulate certain, certain government organizations will manipulate stigma to de-incentivize people from doing taking the scientific undertaking of looking into certain things interesting so they will use certain stigma or quote 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 unquote conspiracy theories to detract people from certain subjects because it could be a security risk or a national security risk sure um, <clears throat> again, if you think about just real quick, when they talked about the, these Bigfoots being have the ability to cloak themselves, I mean, can you imagine uh, a combat team that was able to cloak themselves running into <laughs> right. a conflict? I mean, you, the havoc they could create and problems they could cause would be endless. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, there's nothing you could really even do about it. Right. So, so yeah, when you start to look at that bigger picture, you know, that's what, again, when I saw this whole thing, like, like Bigfoot with, with, uh, and the scientific communities involved with this and the, you know, the federal government. Even in this in this in this exhibition, Bigfoot. One of the interesting things is, as they're out there looking for this, and they're in a they're in a. Uh, this is in upstate uh, California, up uh, northern California, and they find these, um, some sort of uh, uh, a covered manhole that's locked down, that allows that takes them underground, and there's all this uh, evidence that points to the federal government back in the late fifties, early sixties that were studying these phenomena with Bigfoot and they were actually out there in these facilities and they find these things in the middle of nowhere, but they can't get into it. They're afraid to start digging into them and, you know, tear the top off, not understand what they're getting into. But there's definitely these federal facilities that are out there that are Mm -hmm. underground and that are, um, or were looking at this phenomena as a real event across the board. So even when you look at like, like if you look at Bigelow, 
his claim to fame was really on NIDS. NIDS was the, the National Institute of Discover and Science. And they were able to take a serious look, again, using trying to use the, the scientific approach to figure out what was really going on at Skinwalker Ranch. And I'm sure they're aware of things. When Bigelow left, um, he didn't say, you know, hey, this is what we found. This is what he just literally sold the ranch, walked away. And I don't think uh, why they haven't met yet, Bigelow and um, Fugel, to you know, do a comparison of notes and going, hey, what did you guys find versus what, where we're at now trying to find? And the scientific approach is so much differently now with Travis Taylor, um, who's the physicist and Ph.D., really trying to figure out the communication side of this whole thing. So the 1.6 gigahertz became a question. This phenomenon that was happening over with, which they refer to as the triangle is uh, you know, a big question mark. What is going on a mile above this? And why can't they? Um, because every time we get ready to do an experiment there, something goes wrong. The equipment stops working. And he goes, and these guys that are out here doing this are saying, hey, we've never had problems with our equipment before. Batteries are going dead. Um, they brought a huge tractor out there to dig an area. This was a monster tractor. They put a brand new, you know, like a car battery inside this vehicle. It was a diesel, big diesel unit. And within 10 minutes, the battery had died, and the vehicle was no longer, obviously couldn't run because of that, of that fact. Hmm. So, again, Skinwalker Ranch. Just question mark after question mark after question mark as to really what's going on. And so I look at this from a perspective of, of Fugel, um, really just wanting to find out at the end of the day, what is this really all about? I don't know. I mean, if they came out tomorrow and said, hey, listen, there's a spaceship that's been buried here. It's been a base for, you know, years and years and years. I don't know what that does for us across the board. Um, does it help benefit mankind? I mean, are we going to, you know, have free power now because of it? And I think that's the big question as well. Why, why are they looking for these? What's the end game? Mm. You know, where do we, what do we plan on? I mean, if we found out tomorrow, hey, yep, the aliens have been coming here. You know, it's part of our culture. It's what they do. I mean, do we make friends with them? Do we do we coexist with them in a way that we are working for them? Or, or are we already not working for them? If you were running the United States, if you were ahead of the CIA, and you knew that aliens were visiting us, what would you want the, the citizens of the country and the world to think? Well, you know what? I, How would you try to, dis, would you try to disguise it? Would you want the people to know? I wonder what you would do if you were in power. Sure. Well, you know, I think, too, that the fear was that the people were going to think that the Bible wasn't relative if they found out that aliens were real and that, you know, chaos would occur civilly throughout mankind. And people would, well, there's no reason for me to be good now so I can be bad. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the truth. I think people are more enlightened today and more spiritual than more religious. Um, and I think at the end of the day, most people tend to look at it from that perspective. Um, there were a couple of gentlemen, and I can't think of their names off the top of my head. They were in Muscaluga. I'm not saying that right. Uh, um, Louisiana. They were fishing one night, and they actually had this alien ship land behind them. They initially thought it was the police department because they were they were fishing on a no trespassing lot. Because we thought it was the cops pulling up, so we thought we were in trouble. So as we turned around, it was these actually alien beings that were floating down to them, <laughs> and took brought them back on the ship. And after this whole event took place, the the younger of the two guys said he called the actual sheriff's office and was reporting this. And the older guy was like, dude, you're nuts. They're never going to believe this story. There's no way. So they came down and got him that night and brought him back to the, to the station. They separated the guys. They interviewed them initially separately. And both of them said the same thing. And then they put them in a room together. But what the guys didn't know was they stuck a recorder in there with them. So they got to hear these guys talk about, hey, these guys don't believe us. They think we're nuts. You know, mm. they, they'll ask them if we're drinking. 
And they ran experiments on them. They said they stuck things up their nose. Um, they were looking at different parts of their bodies. Uh, they were looking at bone density. They were trying to figure out the nervous system. Um, he talked about a, a being that came up and actually was able to stick her fingers down his throat, which made him bleed to look for something because I don't know what they were looking for through my sinuses. He actually thought that they had planted a, uh, some sort of a tracking device on him. Um, but he was real adamant about wanting to even talk about it because it said it sounds so, it sounds just so unbelievable that, you know, again, who's going to believe my story? Barney Hill said that they like extracted semen from him. And it seems to be a common theme. You know, when you look at the animal mutilations, some of the guys now believe that they're taking the blood from the cows. I guess that it's very similar to our blood, and they're using that for purposes of regenerating whatever. But that's what it comes back down to, the DNA process. So when you start, I didn't, I didn't realize this. Your DNA is really easy to manipulate. Um, I had a friend of mine who said, oh, well, if you eat certain foods, this can change your DNA. And I thought, well, that's, that's a... Really? Like what? I, listen, I said the same thing. I didn't think that could happen that easy, and then... Uh, what foods did he say I could manipulate? Um, it was a, this was actually a particular type of food that a, a girl was eating because she had very fair skin and she would keep getting burned. And she ate this particular food that stopped that from happening. And when they went in and looked at her system, they actually figured out her DNA had changed. So I, I thought that was a joke initially. I'm not like, no, listen, man, take some sort of a, you know, uh, a scientific process to make your DNA, DNA change, not just a simple eating habits change. So food can dive or can uh, change your, your DNA across the board. And I started to research that a little bit to kind of, re- wait a minute, is that a true statement? Mm. Only to find out it's a true statement. So, you know, again, I think that understanding if food can change your DNA and we're dealing with creatures that are trying to, I don't know, improve us. Um, is that what they've always been here to do? Are there, you know, if you look at, if you look at Germany, Germany kind of had the same history as America. They had a crash there in the Black Forest, a UFO crash there in the Black Forest. I do believe that Hitler recovered that and brought that back in. If you take a look at where Germany was as far as the technology-wise, I mean, they had already come out with um, uh, uh, guided missile systems. Mm. Um, they had two different types. They had the V-1 and the V-2 rockets. Mm. Um, the U.S. couldn't, we were still trying to get rockets off the ground. I just got done watching a huge, uh, bit, a long uh, video on Operation Paperclip. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. And they're dealing yeah. with this very subject. Uh, they came up with a flying wing. They had that way before us. Um, we, we could launch, Goddard was able to launch a rocket straight up. You know, the Germans were sending these buzz bombs over Britain and mm. just bombing the shit out of them. So at the end of the day, people started to kind of look at this. Well, wait a minute. How, where are the Germans coming from? And it's odd, too. Where did Hitler come up with blonde hair, blue-eyed people that he wanted everybody else to have this, this look? If you look at the, the tall whites, what they're called, they have blonde hair, blue eyes, um, very Nordic looking, um, and they're kind of being pushed in the same category. I, I try to figure out why Hitler, Hitler didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes. He wasn't from a blonde hair, blue eyed family. He, he, no. You know what I'm saying? So where did that come from? Where did the flying wing come from? Uh, we have that technology today. Mm. When we brought Werner von Braun here was um, a major in the, the uh, Nazi military. Once we brought him back here, 11 years later, we went to the moon. Right. So he was able to... Allegedly. Sh- allegedly go to the moon. <laughs> I, like I say, I, well, that's a whole other conversation. So. <laughs> but it's watching what, what he said was able to do. Now, one of the things he brought to the table were gyros. The U.S. never used gyros before. We didn't have them on any of our vehicles. And this was one of the things that allowed this vehicle to turn. So as they launched it off, it could actually you know, make those corrections so that it flew over Britain. 
and and the, the subject matter was or the uh, the basic function of the the rocket was to do was run out of gas, and then it would you know obviously run fly into the city somewhere and and usually kill a mass amount of civilians. Yeah, I when I mean when you get into the whole, I think part of the the crazy thing about the technology that we got from the Germans is like, like specifically there was one ship, I forget what it was called. I think it was called like the one wing, right? It, it looked exactly like the stealth bomber. Absolutely. It was the same exact thing. And, uh, when they were so far ahead, of, I mean, there's no tail on this thing. They were yeah. so far away, right. ahead of what everybody else was doing across the board, which I can only believe was due to, to alien technology. Now did, I mean, I, from what I understand now, the Chinese have been extremely quiet. They just, matter of fact, they just finally released that they actually have pyramids in China. And they're they starting did? to study. Yes, they did. So, which they, China had never let anything like that out. How before. long ago did this come out? Probably five months ago, six months ago. Huh. And that, it was the first time that China had really released any information with regards to their history. Um, and they were, it was guarded information as well. Um, so you start to see, well, wait a minute. If you had pyramids in China, they had pyramids in Egypt, they had pyramids in South America, yet these, these organizations or these groups of people had no way of communicating with one another. I mean, it obviously tells you there's something bigger going on. Now, were the you know, pyramids used for power consumption? Were they used as a burial mound? Um, they're still trying to figure that out. There's, I think there's a large percentage of the scientific community now that believe that these were some sort of either for communications purposes or power purposes. The, the weird thing about the pyramids, too, is like building them and the connection with, with sound. And like I was telling you, I was talking, I was watching this thing about uh, this whole thing about sound and how everything is tied into sound and sound is, is tied into the creation of everything. And what was that place again called in Florida where the guy had these giant structures in South Florida? It was called the Coral Castle. The Coral Castle. Coral, the Coral Ca- Castle. And, and. Coral Castle is similar to some of like the big monoliths around the world. Like, how did this guy? This thing was apparently built a long time ago. I want to say it was in the 30s. In the 30s, he was initially on the on the uh, east coast of Florida. Um, this was a real small guy. He was a German guy from from Europe, um, and had built the original Coral Castle. And like I say, I want to say over by uh, probably Melbourne, somewhere in that area, mm. and. He during the process of this had had a, uh, a crush on a sixteen year old girl, which back in the day obviously was not going to be tolerated. And I think the city that where he initially built this turned out against him, and they didn't like him now, and they felt him as a threat. So he ended up having to move the Coral Castle to Homestead, Florida. And in dealing with uh, the people who were hauling these stones, now this guy weighed one hundred and thirty five pounds. He had didn't have any other workers that worked with him. He did this all on his own. He would cut chunks of coral out of the ground that were, you know, three, four, five tons, and used a, when you look at the picture, one of the pictures they show is a, uh, it's, a it's a tripod, it's set up over this huge, massive rock. Oh, this is it. Oh, there you go. So, as they, as they uh, set it up over this rock, the one interesting thing is, he said that it's still in place, so they're cutting it out of the ground, and the, and the, the guy who was showing you the picture said, I know you're looking at this going like, oh, this is how he moved those. But the problem is, how did he get the rope around underneath this two-ton piece of block mm. that he was trying to pull up? Mm. Yeah, so, that's pretty wild. This was apparently built in, this is allegedly built in the 30s, you said? I believe so. I believe it was in the 30s, late 30s. So if you look to the right over there, that that right there, there that, that centerpiece. Now, this is what, what really kind of got more attention because that centerpiece 
the bearings had eventually worn out. They had to take that thing apart. Oh, that thing spins? Spins. It actually spins around. Holy shit. Dude, you can just move it with your hand. So what they did was they had to bring in a special truck to lift the stone off the top so that they could get to the bearings on the, both the bottom and the top of that stone. And he goes, we almost couldn't do it because the stone was so heavy and so big we didn't have any equipment that could pick it up. So how did this guy move this here, place it in that location, and this, this individual that did this claimed that he knew the way that the Egyptians were using mag, some sort of magnetism to move these rocks. And one of the guys was actually moving it was a truck driver. He said, I would leave my truck there overnight and come back the next morning and the stone would already be loaded on the truck. He goes, I don't know how he got it on there. It wasn't like he had a, you know, a forklift. He goes, so I would just pick it up, drive it to Homestead, I'd drop the trailer, and then he would do whatever he does with it. So he actually showed a device. I saw one here a couple of, of uh, weeks back where they actually had a, uh, a device that he said was creating this magnetism. And this is how he said that he believed this is how the Egyptians were moving all the stuff through magnetism. Is that the guy right there? That's him right there. That's him right there. The modern-day Stonehenge of Florida. I mean, it's amazing, dude, when you start to look at it and think, of what did this guy do, and how could he have possibly moved these? Look how little he is. Yeah. Wild. But again, it's just one of those things where you, it makes you scratch your head and go, well, you know, again, I, I wish we obviously, he could have leveled with us and said, hey, this is how I'm actually doing this, because it would have taken a lot of the guesswork out of it. But he had to have some sort of means to, to move all this these rocks they're massive um i, rec- I would highly recommend too if you ever get a chance to go down to homestead you're, since we're here in florida check it out it's really amazing didn't did you see that uh the georgia guidestones what happened to those things i i was shocked i absolutely shocked that somebody destroyed that um and and you know the georgia guidestones i don't know if you ever followed the the gentleman who put those up supposedly he went to a banker and had this banker, he said, hey, I got all this money, I want to set this aside. And what they did was they put, I believe it was in seven different languages on the guidestones, of all the things that needed to happen in order to keep the earth running efficiently. There's just too many people on the planet right now. Um, which I tend to believe if you look at, you know, especially with the way processed food is today. Um, it's funny, just a real quick note on that, I had was over a friend of mine's and we were going to eat some plant-based food. And it was in a real nice restaurant. And I have to know the owner of the restaurant. So we sat down and started eating some plant-based food. And actually, man, it was actually really, really good. I said, damn, dude, this burger is really, really good. Around here? Huh? Um, yeah, it's here in Central Florida. I don't want to, because the report's not going to be good when I'm about to say. So oh, I don't want okay. to torpedo him because he okay. had me off to the side. But I said, hey, man, this is really good. Now, again, it's plant-based. And he looked at me and said, hey, don't eat this all the time. It's not good for you. Uh-uh. And I was like, what? So anyway, kind of off track. Why wasn't it good for you? Um. Well, the first thing I asked him, I said, so you're, and that's all he served. It was all straight up um, veg, vegan, vegan type yeah. food. food. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was curious. I said, so how do they grow this stuff? I mean, what's, what's it coming from? And that's when he said, he turned to me and goes, hey, listen, just, it's done through a process in the plant. So it's not good for you. Don't eat it all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not kind of the message I'm getting. I'm, I'm getting that, hey, we should all be eating more plant-based food this way. But obviously coming from him as the owner of the restaurant, which was odd because he turned to me and said to me, "Hey, don't eat this all the time." Well, it depends. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff is like filled with 
packed with soy and shit like that that can it, really it, fuck up. Again, you know? when it's, yeah, if it's based on chemicals, I'm uh, you know you're just scratching your head anyway. Yeah, and a lot of it's, pro- it's processed. A lot of the stuff that stuff is processed. As and well. that's what the the concern was with him. That this is all processed food, mm-hmm. you know, across the board. A processed food, no matter what it is, even if it's fucking, no matter if it's fake meat, if it's factory farmed meat, it, no matter what it is, the processing part of it's terrible for you. Horrible. Um. A friend of mine, my friend Mikey, who's been a vegetarian his whole life, uh, I just fed him a steak for the first time. I think it was, I think it might have been the first time in his life the other night. Wow! He's like, dude, I want to try a steak. He's been watching too many podcasts, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, we're. He's like, now he wants to go to uh, Bascom's to get like a real Kobe beef steak. Nice. So, so now he's like all into fucking trying new fancy steaks and stuff like that. Um. But yeah, it's interesting. Um. The, there's a so there's so much you get so much more from like natural foods whether it be plant based or not whether it be animal based or plant based whether you're eating a fucking steak or or a fucking salad I mean you don't want shit that's processed not at all we you know it's funny this is going back probably seven eight maybe ten years ago and some, some of my conspiracy friends they were they they worked on real high end cars um, and f- fixing damaged parts broken windshields for Ferraris and Maseratis and whatnot. And we were around having this talk one day, and they were getting ready to go to, uh, I think it was Mexico, and watch um, the butterflies. Uh, these are the um, uh, the monarch butterflies mm. fly in, and they come in by the millions every year. And they're, you know, they said, "Hey, we want to go there and watch them fly in." When they got there, um, there was like one tree that had the monarch on there, and they were kind of all scratching their head trying to figure out, "Hey, what the hell happened?" So while they were standing there having a conversation, a park ranger happened to drive up. And they said to the ranger, hey, we're kind of curious as we're all where are all the monarchs this year? And the guy said, well, I think with all this new um, uh, foods that they're making now, they're growing that uh, what do they call the OMGs. OM. Uh, oh, the, oh, the stuff that they're putting in foods. Uh, just yeah, the, yeah, just yeah, the yeah. process side of it. Yep. And he said, so what's happening is the the grain is designed to keep bugs off of it. He goes, so what's right. happening is the butterflies are stopping on their trip here to eat that, and it's killing them. Hmm. Just about two days ago, now this is seven or eight years ago, two days ago I heard that the monarch butterflies were in jeopardy of being going extinct. Really? Which was kind of interesting. It just kind of added to that story that I heard from seven or eight years ago. So, yeah. And, again, and, pointing to the food, if you think about like Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. um, when I first got out of the military, my secretary, her son had Crohn's disease, but nobody knew what it was. Um, they knew that it had something to do with food and your digestive tract, um, in her case, she said that what happens with Crohn's is it actually affects the intestines and perforates it and makes holes in it, and it starts leaking in your body. So obviously, to have that right. leak in your body is not a good thing. So, But they didn't understand why. Today, instead of correcting the food and saying, hey, listen, let's figure out what food is not good for you, they're giving you all these meds. You're just piling the meds on you. you know, so now they've got doctors. That's all they do is Crohn's disease and lower bowel and all these things. When I think if we just go back and look at the food, that's going to be the real, you know, the problem with, with everything that's going on. Again, yeah. too many people on the planet. Go back and look at the history of mankind, and there's more people on the planet right now than ever in the history of man, um, which kind of goes full circle. Now, I believe that, and this is going to kind of get off track here a little bit, but if, I believe that when you look at the the overall timing of man, and let's just say the planet Earth is a living entity, and the one primary plant on the the planet is the tree. Uh, when you look at 
what makes trees grow, carbon dioxide, mm. um, it's funny. We have created more carbon dioxide as humans now on the planet than any other race of species of animals on the planet. And I think that when the trees need this to survive, that's why we've been able to live this long. Uh, we're like a bacteria on the planet. We tend to live near the water and you know wherever it's convenient for us to live. And I think that there's something tied in with the, with the trees. If the planet is a living entity... Um, and the trees are its lungs, then obviously, you know, you, you want to stop everything you can of the, the deforestation that's going on, let's say, like in Brazil or through South America, even here in this country now. Um, you can only deforest areas a certain amount, and then they stop you from, you know, cutting in that area. You have to replant trees. Yeah. So the process, there's something that's involved with that. Again, keeping the earth healthy. And so is this, you know, the other beings that are coming here, are they trying to assist with that process? Again, they realize... Like orbs, I think um, orbs are generated by the planet. I think they're here. I think they've always been here. Um, my experience with these orbs is kind of weird because even living here in Indian Rocks Beach, Florida, um, if you go back and look at when the indigenous people lived here, there was something going on. They were recording times that were happening here. And I went out one night. It was probably 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a real cool evening. And I saw this orb up on the sky. But it was like it was playing on the wind. It was a real breezy night. Very cool night. You could see every star out. It was available. And I initially went in the house and grabbed my, my, my phone to come out because I want to record this. So the problem with, with recording this aerial, whatever it was, this orb, and I kind of did it as an example. I put, took my phone and put it on a star that was stationary. And if I moved my phone, and I would have told you that that's an orb and it's moving, it looked like an actual orb because of the, you understand what I'm saying? So yeah, the, you can move your phone a minute. Yeah, and make it look like it was yeah. really. So my problem was how could I film this thing as it moved through the sky um, without looking like I'm chasing a star? And so I knew that what I had to do was I had to set the camera up so this thing would fly through the frame. Right, and that or way have could, something in the foreground for bingo. perspective. Bingo. And so it kept coming down kind of close to my neighbor's roof. So I actually set the camera up and started videotaping. And sure enough, this thing flew right through it, right through the the uh the screen so i knew that what i was looking at but it was, seemed like it was having fun like it was playing on the wind um and this went on for 30 or 40 minutes could have been a drone uh this was actually before drones not that the, you, you listen you can hear a drone i when we had experiences with your drone uh mm-hmm. we had listen we, oh, had, we had a fun experience. experience with my drone dude we went to a shooting range and uh what what where was that this was over in lithia in lithia here in florida yeah like um, it, in the very very wooded area of florida heavily wooded area not much going on there none in the middle of the wilderness by a huge body of water though there was a huge body of water behind the shooting range which seems to be a constant theme with these things and as we watched it that day now what the funny part was we were shooting this was all video based on um learning to shoot guns and mm-hmm. sort of some high activity with you know guns and positioning uh and, and and other events taking place out there because was a range and initially when i found this thing i saw it with my peripheral vision i was like what was that so i i went back and kind of looked at it. that's when i contacted you and, and told you what frames i thought it was in and you went back and kind of looked at it and i think the first thing you said to me is hey man who's shooting at my drone dude it was crazy it looks like a golf ball and shooting right towards my drone. Just like that, dude. I mean, and, and you figure this. When we when you initially got this thing, and it was above, I think you were about a mile above us. I could hear it, but you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it at the all. The drone? Yeah, your drone. Right, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I could hear it. It's, but could, it's loud, yeah. But I couldn't see it. So wherever that, that, that I don't know, cotton ball came from or that, that orb was, I want to say, almost two miles away looking at the video. And when it came up, 
it was attracted by the sound of your... I thought it was someone shooting at it at first. That's what you said. And I kind of chuckled over that. I said, dude, I couldn't even see it a mile up. That's two miles away. There's no way these guys could have seen that. Now, And would you be able to see if somebody shot at a drone that was that high in the air, would you be able to see the bullet? No. No way. That thing, that camera on that drone shoots 24 frames per second. So if you were to divide one wow. second in 24, would you even be... I don't know, I don't know if you'd be able to see the bullet. What? No, no, you wouldn't be able to. No. I mean, or that or they would already found it. Who killed Kennedy? You know, right? You know, you'll see that thing in the air. So even even with this event, um, I, I kind of scratch my head and you and you go like, what is this really all about? Now I do believe, and I I think I told you this the other day. Um, I looked at a partial video and thought I saw another one of those in there. I'd like to get that video back and go through that with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, it's on one of my hard drives back there. Because I gotta get it out. I believe there's more of those orbs on there. Uh, what they are and 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 watching other shows. There's another show, and I have actually a video on my phone where a guy sees this out in Arizona. Same yep, exact. I remember thing. you showed me that. Yeah, dude. Same and the exact thing. Walking through it on YouTube. Yep. And what he, what they did was they did the math on this thing, and this thing is moving at 3,500 miles an hour. See if you can find something, Jordan. If you go on YouTube and you and you search for something like a uh, small white ball shooting towards drone. I don't know if you can find it, but yeah, there's, there's a number of events that are actually, well, let's take this opportunity to pause because I got to piss like a racehorse. Oh, yeah, do that. Let's do that. Okay, cool. This coffee's going right through me. All right, boom. Where were we? What were we talking about? Um, we are just talking about the orbs and the, that day that we were out there shooting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, again, not thinking we're looking for anything paranormal, anything unusual. We're just out shooting video of some guys shooting some guns at a range uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And during the process of this thing, I kind of noticed something, and that's when I sent it to you, like, hey, what is this? And I could pick it up. I didn't have, the obviously, the, the equipment that you have that can really look at this thing. And when you pulled it up, I think one of the first things you said to me was, hey, who's shooting at my drone? Right. And we talked. I said, dude, you can't even see your drone up that far. That's something. I don't know what that is. So then it came out on, on a couple of other shows, uh, which as soon as I saw it, I recognized it for what it was. So you saw the exact same thing on TV later, like a couple years later? Correct. It was definitely a couple of years later. Um, and it was the same exact thing taken by a drone. Um, and now I think there's two or three actually of these drones that have actually taken pictures of whatever these, these, I call them dirty cotton balls. Um, but whether they're, they're orbs. Is there light. any sort of logical explanation of what it could be? Well, I mean, again, dude, when I start thinking about this and I watch these orbs, um, I, you know, and again, on the beach one day, uh, down here in St. Pete, uh, we had some orange orbs come down the, the water line and we watched these things until they disappeared into the clouds. Um, you know, there was some talk, Hey, are these, those, um, those, those Japanese, uh, lanterns, lanterns. The problem was that we had an onshore breeze and, and it's a heavy breeze when it, in the evening hours along the water line. And this was running parallel to the shoreline, probably 20 or 30 feet over the top. And, um, I don't, I kind of view these orbs, especially after that night, I saw that one in the sky that they're, they're actually here on the planet. I don't know whether they're taking care of the planet. I don't know whether they're in charge of, of, you know, maintaining some sort of social order on the planet, but I do believe they're here for that reason. Um, and I think that they kind of monitor the health of the trees across the board. Now, with that said, there's obviously so many other things that are going on, but I think in the, at the end of the day, if we find out that the planet Earth is really a live entity or, or being, um, that would change our religion, that would change what we thought about who's coming here. Um, we, if you look at where gold comes from, Gold is not gold does not happen uh, on the planet Earth. It comes from space. So when you start to take into consideration where gold comes from, because I thought it was like processed like a diamond. You know, it's here. It's under 
tremendous pressure from the Earth. Does that really come from space? It really comes from space. That's scientifically no, fact? Absolutely. There's no place that they, they know where it comes from or how it's produced on Earth. So when you look for them... Can you find that? Yeah, when you, find, when you look around and you... Like some of these shows I watch where they're mining gold in, in Alaska, um, in the process of, of uh, running this uh, material through a... Uh, process of where they cleanse it with the water and it filters off all of the light stuff and then the, the heavy materials left in the bottom. They were talking, because my question was, well, why don't they ever find like a, you know, a, a stone-sized piece of gold? It's, you know, a four-pound rock of gold. Mm. It just doesn't come like that. It comes from space. Um, it It is in minute, you know, uh, material-wise, as far as when you actually start mining it, it's such a, a process of... Usually gold create. Usually, gold is created from platinum, which has one less proton than gold, or from mercury, which has one more proton than gold. Bombarding a platinum or mercury nucleus with neuron neutrons can knock off a can knock off a neutron or add a neut- neutron, which through natural radioactive decay can lead to gold. But where does it come from? How oh how gold is formed on Earth? Gold minerals form in hot rocks in and around volcanoes, so they form inside of rocks around volcanoes. Interesting. That's the first time I heard that. So that's interesting. But I think again, when you take into consideration, all right, let's just go with that. Let's just say that, that they're come from volcanoes. There are no volcanoes in South America. There are no volcanoes in Alaska. Oh, I take that back. There, there, there are volcanoes are vo- in yes. South America and Central America. Is there? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, okay, that was news. And I know there's definitely uh, there's definitely uh, 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 volcanoes it? in Alaska. Maybe not. But you know, well, listen. I know that the Mayan the Mayan Indians had a shitload of gold. Unlike other metals that form the Earth's crust, gold comes from now. This one says gold comes from space. Stars are made mostly of helium and hydrogen, which provide light. Inside the star's core, nuclear fusion churns out energy. As all the star, as the star's life come to an end, a massive stellar explosion occurs, known as a supernova. Uh, so I guess it's found in both places. It's found in the universe and on Earth. So, I, like I say, when you again t- start to take into consideration how much of it do you need? I mean, when I started to go back and look at from from South America, where all the gold came from? Where where's all the gold today? If they had it from back then, the Spanish wanted it. So they're the ones that came in, the conquistadors came in and mm-hmm. wiped out most of the Mayans for that purpose alone because they wanted the gold. Mm. So, and again, when you go back to the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki would eat the gold because they said their body's like a semiconductor and it actually improves electrical functions throughout your body, which if you think about it, I mean, it sounds like it could be true. But has anyone uh, tested it? Well, sense? I mean, <laughs> I don't know anybody who wants to eat their gold because they just paid a, you know, a shit ton of money for it. So let's <laughs> start doing is grinding it up and eating it. Oh, my. God, that's true. But I mean, again, yeah. But you could eat it and then just like like shit into a bucket for uh, a week. There you go. Sure you don't lose it. I don't want to do mine that way. But, but yeah, you have I, to, they talk about like eating it in powdered form too. Bingo. And that was really what it was all about: eating it in powdered form. And I guess that's where the real benefit came for the Anunnaki, if that's truly what they did, was eat the gold. Mm. But, so what is this video right here? This is uh, okay. So this is a guy who had the, the same exact experience we had with the white bingo. Now, this, this is several years later, and I just happened to be watching one of these shows. Um, and this was the guy that popped up and, and was showing what he had seen through his drone. Show this to to tell me what it is because I can't tell what it is. 
Whatever this was, was traveling at a very high velocity. So much so that in order to watch this video and appreciate it, you have to slow it down so that frame by frame you can see, all right, it's not a bird, it's not a plane, I can't identify what it was. It seems like a ball of light. It appears to me like somebody's trying to shoot down this drone. So there, I mean, he, the same thing came up when he thought that somebody was trying to shoot it down. But again, you know, when you start doing the mathematics on this thing. It's moving too slow for a bullet to be a bullet. Bingo. 3,500 miles an hour. So this thing is, whatever it is, again, even so you can pick it up on camera. 3,500 miles an hour is how fast a bullet travels, is that what you're saying? No, no, this is what they were saying this thing right here is traveling at, 3,500 miles an hour. So they were showing the speed versus the time versus where it was There's at. No way. And well, dude, think about the one we saw in that video. I couldn't see it when it was just when you played it naturally. You could not see it. Right, but if you go frame by frame, you can clearly see it. If it was going thirty five hundred miles an hour, would you even be able to see it in one twenty fourth of a second? I. There's, there's the big question. I mean, I mean that, that can't be that hard of a math problem for someone smart. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, we probably need to ask a few more questions on it. But again, the, yeah. the, the process of us seeing that was, again, just a, merely a lucky moment when I saw it yeah. with my peripheral vision. Like, right. What the hell was that? wasn't looking for anything that was paranormal at all. So that's what kind of added to the whole thing when I started to see that. And I, like I said, I need to actually run back through that again because I believe there are other events like that within the video that we just didn't, we weren't paying attention to because we weren't looking for that. Yeah, I mean, so, you can't see it. You can only see it when it gets in the close proximity of it. Like, you can't tell where it's coming from. Bingo. But So there, so there's nobody who's, obviously, there hasn't been enough cases of this for someone to actually take a real look at it and try to figure out where it actually could have came from. Like, what's the realistic description of no, it? No, the, the one where I got the, with the how fast it was moving was the guys out in the desert. And there's another group of guys who were doing the same thing. They were in Arizona. They were videotaping a desert. And this, this thing, whatever it was, came up out of the, out of the mountains. And it was going one direction and changed directions and actually went right by their their drone. So that's when they did the mathematics and came up with it was at 3,500 miles an hour. But you could change direction. Oh, change direction. It was de- like like I could hear. It. I, I, even I think with the day that we were out there shooting yours, um, that that thing kind of made a turn because it could hear it. And I don't know whether it was more interested in what it was, but to be able to you know visually see that thing and not have really an explanation as to what it is or was. You know, again, just adds to the whole paranormal. Is it is it is it Earth related? Is this a an extraterrestrial event? I mean, what is it? It's real. Um, there's two or three videos now that have this on there. We could never see these before. Guys started putting drones up. I've never seen these talked about before. You know, you hear about orbs and uh, things that go on, especially you know, with, with these ring doorbells, and you can see some of the orbs that are on the ring doorbells, and you try wow. to figure out what you're looking at. But these events here during the day that are taking place, and that you're uh, you know, you pick them up accidentally, like we did. Um, to me, it just adds more to the question of, hey, what the hell are we really looking at here? What's really going on on the planet at the end of the day? Because uh, obviously, these events are real. Yeah, there's something going on. There's definitely something weird. But I, I mean, I don't know. It could, it could be some. It could be some a natural thing. I mean, listen. Obviously, it could be anything at that point for sure. Um, I. I mean, it's not impossible for it to be like some sort of natural phenomena, some sort of like light phenomena. Or... I still don't understand why we wouldn't see it more. I mean, okay, look at this. So when bullets fly through the air, they do they do so at amazing speeds. The fastest bullet travels more than twenty six hundred feet per second, the equivalent to over uh, eighteen hundred miles per hour. To put that in perspective, it's amazing to it's uh, amazing to realize that bullets travel over twice the speed of sound. So there's no way that you could get even one frame. Like, there's no one. You can't see a bullet traveling unless you shoot it with a high, high-speed camera that shoots, like, thousands of frames per second. Bingo. 
Bingo. So that drone would not have captured anything like that. No. Well, so like it's, it's, it's traveling way slower. And again, like I say, when you when you do the math now, on the first ones that when the guys talk about again thirty five hundred miles an hour, that was those guys. That, that one that we're looking at, I maybe you can travel faster than that because we couldn't see it. I don't know right. what, you know, had we just got lucky and picked up on that thing mm-hmm. again. That's why I say I like to go back through that again and just kind of thumb through that video and see if there's anything else on there that we've mm-hmm. missed uh, because it's, all, it's obviously relevant to what's going on. I mean, when you take into consideration, dude, there's no way you can have twenty different shows on from UFOs to unexplained. Uh, information, the Alaskan Triangle, you know, got American Mysteries, Expedition Bigfoot, Legend of Bigfoot, uh, Black Files Classified. They all bring something to the UFO f- are to there the forefront. Any, are there any volcanoes in South America or Central America? Can you find that? Yeah, ask that question. Because I know there's a lot of gold mines in that area. Like, there's a lot, a we, lot of gold mines. Especially and in, like, and I, don't think of, I don't think of that area as being a gold-producing country, you know, across the board, yet... Listen, if you go back and look at the history, there's a lot of gold there. You know, Mexico, there's a lot of lithium mines in Mexico. Interesting. That I don't I just had a guy on here, Luis Chaparro, who reports the what is that called? The Ma, the Maipo volcano, Spanish volcano Maipo, uh volcanic peak in central in the central and Andes Mountains, South America. Okay. Chile, Argentina, yeah. Uh, so you went oh like, shit! More than three thousand volcanoes in Latin America and South America. Wow. Okay, I had no idea. Fourteen of these volcanoes are active. Fucking shitload of volcanoes down there. So that's crazy. I didn't. I just learned something new. Didn't have no idea that those were down there in that kind of number. But again, so is it? Is it the volcanoes that make the gold, or is it coming from space? It's both. Apparently, you know, I, according to the internet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. There's a ton of lithium mines in Mexico, and the lithium mines. Being bought by China, interesting. China is doing a lot of business in Mexico, dude. Let me tell you something. It's it's interesting you just said that. You know, one of the things um, that I had heard initially about Iraq and Afghanistan was that they have a huge deposit of lithium there. Mm-hmm. And this was going back probably a year ago. Again, to a buddy of mine who's kind of a conspiracy guy. He's a, he's a, he's in the he's in the military, um, and he said something interesting. We were talking about the lithium that was there, and he goes, "Oh yeah." The powers to be that are running the world have told the U.S. to get out of Afghanistan because that lithium belongs to China, which was interesting when he said that. So I didn't, I was like, there's lithium in Afghanistan? He goes, dude, there is so much lithium in Afghanistan. Mm. So what powers would tell anybody, hey, you guys are done, pack it up. He, He kept saying the World Bank, the World Bank. I don't know what that really means on the World Bank, but he said there was key individuals that were making decisions, and the U.S. was not to get near that lithium, that it was going to be all go to China. Yeah. And that we were told to get out of Afghanistan, which was interesting. I don't know how true it is, but it's interesting. And then when you talk to others about the lithium, you start doing research on it. Well, sure enough, the lithium's there, for sure. No doubt about it. And China's going to lead the way with regard to the lithium because they're going to be with the Russians now, I guess. Well, they're doing a lot of business in Mexico. They're buying lithium mines and they're partnering with the cartels in Mexico. And the cartels are sort of like secure, being their security for these mines. And the cartels are making a lot of money doing business with China. So in addition to that, um, the cartels are sending 100% of the fentanyl to Mexico. Wow. And on top of that, so all of the fentanyl, think of all the drugs that, that the Mexican cartels, all, not, not just drugs, but 
everything from avocados to ammunition to drugs. Sure. All of the business that anything that's illegal is automatically business for the car is money for the cartels. Absolutely. So the cartels, they're getting not only their fentanyl from China, but China is sending the chemists to directly to Mexico and teaching them how to create, how to produce and how to manufacture the fentanyl. I'm and sure that their labor charges for labor in Mexico are very, very cheap. So I'm sure that's a great idea. Yeah. And well, the only country that is dealing with this fentanyl epidemic of tons of people dying from fentanyl is America. They're not, they're not selling fentanyl to any other countries, but the United States and all the fentanyl is coming from China. And see, I mean, look, look at the damage it does. I mean, now, of course, just, I look at this a couple of different ways. We all know how bad fentanyl is. I mean, I haven't read one good article that says, hey, if you do fentanyl, dude, you're going, to, you're going to Mexico tomorrow for a vacation and a great time. It always leads right to death. Um, when we started talking about fentanyl here in Florida. You see the video of the cops? Just, the guy touches the fentanyl. Absolutely. And he automatically fucking passes all, Almost out. dies. Almost dies because of it. And when you look at what fentanyl does, which is unusual, fentanyl has the ability to penetrate the brain stem. And what it does is it confuses your body on how much oxygen is actually in your lungs. So it can't tell whether you've got too much or not enough. So what it does is it makes you stop breathing. Mm-hmm. So we all seem to know that. Why would you want to take fentanyl? So somebody said, well, they're putting fentanyl in cannabis. I said, wait a minute. So they're going to buy fentanyl to yeah, put in cannabis on that, yeah. to sell you cannabis that's laced with fentanyl? I said, that doesn't make any sense because you're not going to make your money off the fentanyl. You're going to kill people, first of all, and they're going to come back and buy your cannabis anymore. Exactly. So it's odd to me that that would even be a thing. But yet in Florida, in Manatee County, this is going back a couple of years ago, they had to open up a second morgue because there were so many people dying from it. Mm-hmm. And it makes you scratch your head. I mean, I don't know anybody who goes, hey, yeah, I've been a, I've been a you know, fentanyl user for five years now, and I'm more successful now in my life and my family and everything I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Nobody says that. Right. So when you, you figure that you buy the fentanyl and you're at a gas station, you've got your kids in the car and you can't wait to get home to do whatever it is you're going to do. And then you end up overdosing there in the, in the, in the parking lot. Um, obviously, uh, law enforcement carries a lot of the um, uh, product that will wake you up. Uh, what's it called? Um, uh, not, I can't think of the name of it now yet, but all of the, the sheriff's office carry it. All of the uh, uh, fire departments carry it here. The EMTs carry it. Um, so that if you have an overdose, they can hit you with this, and this will revive you and save your life. Like an epinephrine thing? Yeah, it's just like Narcan. that. What's that? It's called Narcan. 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 Okay, okay. Narcan. Yeah, there you go. So, it, And, of course, everybody carries that here in the state of Florida with them for the the event that you end up overdosing on this stuff. Is that the thing that you jam into your heart? Nope. This is actually something you can, you can breathe in through their nostrils. Oh, okay. Take it through your nose. Now, they do have an injectable as well because, obviously, if you're – if you're unresponsive and you're passed out, uh-huh. they can they, they, they just come injectables. They can't hit you with a needle on it as well. Yeah, no. So the the um, the fentanyl has become a replacement for heroin. They're using it. it's a more it's a more economic substitute for heroin. So they're cutting the, these pills, these uh, these different uh, opioids and, and things like that with and pure heroin with this um, fentanyl. And that's how, you know, a lot of people are overdosing. I mean, there's reports of it being like, you know, being in cocaine or being in weed, which is kind of, you know, those reports are very weird. I feel like that those are mostly like low-level drug dealers that are, right. that are selling. The low-level drug dealers are street drug dealers are the guys that are selling heroin and cocaine and weed. The high-level guys are only, they're not selling heroin. The people that are buying heroin are more, more like street well, people. Well, see, now that I mean, in Florida now, if you sell somebody... 
a drug like fentanyl and it kills them and they can trace it back to you that they bought that from, they're going to charge you with murder. Mm-hmm. So that's going to change a lot of the attitudes here in Florida. I, I think there's already been five or six people who've been arrested for that. They'll be made examples of, and I think other people who are dealing in drugs will start to take notice of that as well. And I think that's what will make the fentanyl thing go away. Completely. Well, what would make the, the cartels? I mean, the problem is, is, is the cartels fucking trafficking all this stuff into the United States. There's so much money in it. Oh, sure. And with the borders. They're, you know, the, the cartel, they make $8,000 per person that they fucking can smuggle. The human trafficking. The coyotes in, can in, bring across the borders. Yep. Yeah. They bring people to the United States. Eight grand a pop for that. Showing you how bad people want to get into this country. And they asked El Chapo. El El Chapo said um, in an interview, I I don't know who it was with. Maybe it was with this attorney. um, But they they asked him, like, what he thought. Like, what what is the way? What is the best, easiest way to get rid of the cartel problem? He said, it's just, it's easy. It's government. It's governmental policy. Legalizing certain things. Absolutely. We'll run them right out of business that way. Right. Listen, I think at the end of the day, listen, legalize drugs across the board. Is it a smart idea? I'm not really sure, but we all know that fentanyl is not good. We know that heroin's not good. We uh, know that, right? We yeah. know that. Yet, you smart know, people know that. Yet, everyone tends to not pay attention to that, and we, we continue but to thin the herd. It being illegal obviously isn't stopping anything. No, no. So why not just make it legal? At least now you can put it into a perspective of you can manage these people so that they don't do overdoses, they don't kill themselves. Uh, they're kind of doing this in New York right now with... Um, uh, methanol or not methanol with um uh heroin and allowing them to use a drug that's similar to heroin called mm, yeah i've heard of this uh, in europe too yeah anyway they they were allowed to use this and to help them wean off the actual drug itself mm-hmm. um but it's not working because people are just getting hooked on this new drug yeah and it, it's not nearly i guess as, as bad for you at the end of the day i guess it can't stop your heart you know stop you from breathing um, but at the end of the day, it's still, listen, I'm not reading any good stories like, oh yeah, this guy, you know, just got his degree. He's a PhD now and he's also hooked on fentanyl. Right. So I think if you, if you, you know, Hey, listen, we legalize it. Well, we, and I, of course I hate to sound so brutal about it, but if we thin the herd, those individuals will no longer be on the planet. We don't have to worry about that. I know some people want to, you know, embrace everybody and help everybody. And, and listen, at the end of the day, I, I, I understand, but listen, it just doesn't work that way. Unfortunately. Well, the thing with overpopulation is Elon Musk says the opposite. He says over the next few decades, he goes, the population is going to start is going to start thinning out. And that's why he's trying to have so many kids. He's fucking that guy's impregnating everybody. He's got like 10 kids right now, and, which is crazy. And uh, he's doing uh, like in, ver- in vitro fertilization where he's is that I was doing it. I wasn't oh, sure. Yeah. I, I saw some conversations about this because of he's a- trying to spread his seed as far and wide as he possibly can. Like he's trying to have more and more babies. So is that a bad thing? I don't think so. No, I mean, especially I mean, if the females are on board with it. If they're not, you know what I'm saying? Right. There can't be, I'm sure there's something set up for them as well with him being, having all this money. He truly believes that there's going to be an issue. He thinks that, he thinks that, um, fertility rate or I think that's what it is. If you can, if you can look it up, um, I'm sure there's plenty of articles on it, but he believes that, um, over time, basically based on math on where we've been 10 years ago to where we're going to be 10 years from now that the population the the birth rate is going down dramatically sure sure well you know listen go back to kind of the conspiracy thing when you hear about some of these some of the shots that they wanted to give females as young girls and i was not for this obviously i have a daughter and we talked to the doctor long details and i said so my concerns are that the shot is doing more than just controlling a cancer that they mm-hmm. could get in their cervix that they could 
population to growth population growth has declined mainly due to the abrupt decline in the global total fertility rates right from 5.0 in 1960 to 2.3 in 2020 Wow. See, so that, less is, than half. Is that crazy? And again, it's working. Whatever is going on is working. Because like I say, I think that you look more and more into... But what's the point? I just Why? think there's too many people on the planet. I don't think it, we can... We yeah, can, but the fertility rates have cut, been cut in half. It's clearly there's population decline is going to happen. Sure. And then the, I guess the question is, how is that happening? I mean, what, what's different now and, and to the point where this population mm. started to turn and go the other way, started to... to decrease Mm -hmm. it's so weird man with the vaccine shit and the shots and all that stuff it's become like a fucking religion for people oh yeah it's it's a fucking religion either you're for it or you're against it and what did i send you that that email yeah that i got no i received that on february actually i I think it was the 12th but it was the 17th of 2020 from a buddy of mine at the pentagon who sent that to me and you know he does half of his face on there and he, he kind of types out this you know this critical uh, letter about what's going on with the Chinese and, and Wuhan labs and this new disease called the coronavirus. And initially when I saw that, I didn't give any, I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm at work. I'm you know doing my stuff. So I'm asking him, what's with the cryptic face half of there? He goes, well, I'm trying to make you understand this is really important. I'm like, to who? Now, in the line of work I was in, dealing with masks, obviously uh, different types of chemicals that these masks will prevent you from inhaling in gas, from inhaling in different particle substances, um, radioactive material. Um, so I'm fully uh, uh, licensed and prepping up guys, especially special operations guys, to wear gas masks. So in order to have that happen, you got to have a really good, you can't have a beard. Mm-hmm. You know, the particles will get around the mask. And people are like, well, what's the big on deal? I said, well, listen, if I put gas into a particular room that we're going to go and insult because we're going in to get a bad guy, the last thing I want to do is have my mask leak when I get inside there because now it's going to affect me the same way it's affecting him. So you can't just put a mask on and hope that that's going to keep the virus either away from you or to yourself. It just doesn't work that way. Um, most people don't want to want to know that. They just go off of what the government tells them and they go, hey, listen, I, you know, my question to them is, well, when has the government ever really told you the truth about anything across the board, especially in today's atmosphere? So it's trying to understand why they would go down that road, why they do what they do. Um, you know, look at, look at everything across the board that's going on right now, and it's just, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos across the planet, you know, from different countries uh, with the whole COVID thing. Now they're trying to do additional lockdowns now. Fauci's coming back out again now and saying, hey, it's time to do more lockdowns. Um, you know, listen, I'm over it. I'm running my life, you know, yeah. typically, normally, and um, if I get it, I get it. Yeah, people treat, I mean, it's just like, if you pay too much attention to it, you're just going to drive yourself fucking crazy. And then there's people, there's just, there's some people that it's, I don't know what it is. It's like focusing on or paying so much attention to the Fauci, to fucking Republican, Democrat, it becomes their fucking identity. Absolutely. Just focusing on this bullshit. Like it's it, not relevant it, to anything. There's more to life than Absolutely. fucking politics and Absolutely. corrupt and corrupt fucking people in in government. Like there's more to life than that. Like uh, it's just fucking crazy. And that's I don't know. It's people. Some people have just lost their way, or they don't. They have. They're they're fucking lonely, or they they're they're alone, and they're so unfuckable. They, there's nothing oh, going sure. on in their life. Well, belief's such a funny thing, man. When you yeah. look at belief across the board. And I think when you look at, especially like religion, and you believe in a certain concept of religion, um, I, have, I have the conversations completely. I said, you know, listen, people get upset with me because I said, God's not doing a really good job right now. If he just come <laughs> yeah. down here and straighten this mess out, we'd be good. 
Um, I said, you know, the, the funny thing is like, like the Japanese people don't know who Jesus is. When they see his name, they're like, who, who's Jesus? They're like, oh, Jesus, he was, you know, the son of God. Oh, no, that's, no, that's not right. Mm. So I said, do the, do the uh, indigenous people here, the, the, uh, the American Indian, which are not really Indians, but the indigenous Americans here, they all were part of that whole program, trying to understand, you know, what life is all about, where they come from, um, and their approach on every other thing revolves around that. So mm. when you see these stories come out about, um, different uh, groups or ideologies. I mean, there's a Baptist group that believe that, you know, if you hold a rattlesnake above your head and you shake him and he doesn't bite you, it's because it's the will of God. But if he does bite you, it's because you've done things wrong. And I'm like, so how many people are really getting bit by those snakes at the end yeah. of the day when you're shaking them around like that? Um, and I think that as we continue to educate ourselves about, listen, when you look at that, uh, the um, the stones up there in Georgia. Yeah. Um, when you look at... What actually happened to those? Someone like drove their car into them or something? No, they actually dynamited and they blew them up. Dynamite? They used dynamite on them. Jesus. So, Christ. and again, now that was generated by a gentleman who did not want to be identified. He went through a banker. Matter of fact, the banker's still alive. The gentleman who did this is, has passed away, I think, 10 or 12 years ago. But the the stones pointed out basically the population was just too many people on the planet. 500 million was the, was the maximum number that the planet could sustain and do it well. So, and in seven different languages, it outlines what we need to do in order to get back on track to be able to survive. Mm-hmm. So, why someone wouldn't destroy that um, is kind of odd. Um, they just didn't believe in it. They went going against their ideology. Yeah, but again, think of all, it's one thing to go, okay, I don't believe in this. and Terrorist. I, I, yeah, it's another thing to blow it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, wow. So, it meant, even the guy that, that initially knew who this individual was, the banker, he, even today, he still won't tell what his name was. Really, and he goes, and when when they asked him why, they said it takes away from. Yeah. He's afraid that they'll take away from what the, the message of the stones really is if they find out who he is. Right. So I don't know if that means he was a somebody or just a nobody, and why would a nobody know this? Mm. Um, but it was. It's interesting across the board because I tend to believe again, watching where we are today um, with food across the board, and we're obviously trying to grow more and more and more. The the Farmers are having a problem with the land because they're they're over farming the land, and then the 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 dirt takes a, abuse because there's just not enough nutrition in the dirt to make really whole foods. Mm-hmm. So they can't rotate the crops the way they once did. So you know, again, we go back to this uh, genetically modified food um, that I don't think does any of us any good. I was having this. Con- I was talking to Lexi about this the other day. I was I was asking. I'm like I'm like you know, right now, what is like the average? What is the average lifespan of somebody over the last 20 years? The average lifespan is what, like 80s, 90s? I want to say like 82, 83. And I was, I was wondering, I'm like, what do you think the average lifespan is going to be of somebody who's in their 20s and 30s today? I was like, I think just, you know, due to technology, due to all the, you know, crazy, you know, DNA hacking or, or Neuralink technology that's going to come out and just advancement in science and medicine that... I bet we'll probably live to about 150 years, 150 years old. There's really no then, reason we can't. And, and you know, and then she was like, yeah, but food is becoming more and more processed and convenient and nutrition is lacking more and more, you know, than it was back in, in the past. Like, it just seems like there's more processed foods and sugars and shit like that well, than look ever. At, look in the 60s, man. There were no fat people in the 60s. Right. You had people that were overweight, but there were no right. fat people. You right. know, when you, when you go back and look today and look at the obesity, which is really brought on by sugar. You know, sugar is... I had my brother-in-law about 10 years ago tell me, oh, sugar's the worst thing you can put in your body. And I'm like, Joe, relax. It's sugar. I mean, come on. And uh, after talking to several nurses, she said, if you took a blood test right after you ate a bunch of sugar, you'd flip out at what your blood was doing. Um, and she then, you know, alluded to how bad it was for you across the board. 
Um, I never really thought about it, but I've kind of gotten away from more of the sugar, heavy, sweet stuff. I don't drink Cokes at all. I haven't had a, a Coke or a Mountain Dew in 20 years. Wow. I refuse to drink them. They're just nothing but laced with sugar. You know, alcohol has sugar in it. It is sugar. Um, you get a disease from being an alcoholic. Your arms get real thin. You get a bloated stomach, and your legs get real thin. Mm-hmm. Um, again, brought on by sugar. Is this a process to thin the herd out? I mean, you know, we get rid of all the drinkers. Or just money. Is it just fucking easy money? Because the problem is really only in the U.S., right? Like, there's no other countries that are that have this epidemic of malnutrition and bullshit food and obesity. Obesity is like 70% of the population. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's well, insane. Is there any other countries like that? Uh, n- listen, not that run on the obesity. Even that, you know, it's funny when you brought that up. I talked to one of my buddies from Homeland Security here because we were, they were having a problem with the power grid going down. And they believe that there were other entities out there that were actually dragging the power grid down. Not to mention that they were, this was in California, they were driving through and shooting Transformers with a twenty two rifle. Right. So the Transformers are only made in, in, in three different countries, the U.S. being one of them, and they're a real hard item to get because there's just not a super demand for them across the board. You're not, they're not supposed to leak out oil and catch on fire. And they were trying to figure out who was doing this and why they were doing this and looking at um, people that were trying to control certain parts of the, of the power grid. Well, I said, well, dude, why would that matter? He said, well, let me tell you this, man. Right now in this country, there are 100 million uh, diabetics. There's another 80 million that are pre-diabetic. He goes, insulin must be kept refrigerated. If you lose power for 90 days, the bodies will stack up at the hospitals like you will not believe. Mm. And he goes, that shuts down everything because the hospitals will shut down. Truckers will be afraid to go anywhere. And all just through uh, you know, something as simple as is insulin. Mm-hmm. So I... I look, you know, you go back again and you say, well, hold on, this whole sugar thing, is it part of the bigger plan to get rid of those people where sugar is the enemy? Again, thinning the herd, so we're doing it there. We're doing it genetically through vaccines that you think you're getting. And slowly by surely, they chip away at our ability to have reproduction. I mean, if you look at, again, what's happened to the population, I think it's all related at the end of the day. There's just too many people on the planet. We can't sustain it. If you look at, you know, your, your countries like India, the amount of garbage that they're throwing back into the ocean oh, yeah. is just unbelievable. Um, and you don't really think about that in the bigger picture until you start looking at videos uh, and they show the, you know, the specific ocean with one area where all of this plastic tends to get dragged into. And then you see the, the wildlife that eats it. Turtles eat the plastic bags because they think it's jellyfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens, they end up starving to death because they've got so much product in their stomach that it's full, but they can't eat anything. Mm-hmm. So they end up dying. So now we're you know now we start talking about extinction of certain animals on on a much bigger plane than we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But is it is it you know go back to look at the black plague? Um, there's people today that say the black plague was not spread by rat by rats and fleas, that there was something bigger, and they believe it was extraterrestrial. Really? Uh, as they go through, they said when they show these the, like reapers in the skies walking through the sky, and he goes, "This is what they mean to show that something's delivering this this virus." So if you go back and start looking at the history of man, it seems to be whenever they want to thin the herd out, these viruses are made, hence coronavirus, I think started out as SARS originally and, you know, turned into this this disease now that kills only people who seem to have relevant uh, conditions. So my sister's husband died because of it. Now, he was 350 pounds, had all kinds of health issues, um, went into the hospital with, had the D variant which they said the D variant doesn't give you a fever. And one of the doctors I spoke to said, well, if the D variant's not giving you a fever, you have no way to fight the bug. So at the end of the day, when I asked my sister, what killed him? What's on his death certificate? What was on his death certificate was he died of pneumonia. 
brought on by complications of COVID. When did he die? Uh, about a year ago. Oh, wow. So, you know, again, it seems to be able to pick out people who are pre-genetically disposed. Vulnerable. Yeah. That are vulnerable. So, again, are we thinning the herd for only the strongest shall survive at the end of the day? Because you know and I know people who've had corona. Uh, look at Lexi who you know, just had really kind of a bad cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no ill effects. We didn't have to go to the hospital. We didn't talk about you know, putting them on a ventilator. Right. Um, or and, me. I never fucking got COVID. I, I was and you were ar- living there. I was around her the whole fucking time she had it, waiting on her hand and a foot, like sleeping next to her, and never got it. Never got it. My sister, when she got it, uh, or didn't get it, they were in a motorhome as her house was being built. So I had both my sisters living in a motorhome with her husband, and they had both gotten sick. They had gotten a cold. And so he had gotten sick about two or three days later, went down, and I told him, I said, listen, don't let him shove anything up your nose. There's no reason to do that. Let him know. If you've got a cold, they'll tell you right up front, but don't let him put it. Any- of course, what do they do? The first thing they do is shove that stick up his nose. So then he ends up with a D variant, which, again, doesn't allow your body to produce a fever, and that's ended up with killing him long term. And I asked my sister, you need to go back to that hospital and figure out what they were treating him with. Mm-hmm. Well, they wouldn't release that information to her other than he died of pneumonia. I said, that's bullshit because he's your husband. You should be able to have you know, access to those records of what killed your husband. Mm-hmm. She just decided to leave it alone. She goes, you know, it was COVID. It is what it is. And I tend to agree, disagree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at China. I mean, how many, do we know how many people in China died of COVID? Like, I don't think there's many people in China that are even overweight or unhealthy. I listen, that's the key right there. You just hit the nail on the head. I, they, they live a much cleaner lifestyle. I mean, even it's funny talking to a buddy of mine, his, his uh, parents or his uh, wife's parents are Filipinos. So they moved down here with him. They all lived together in a, in a home down here. And all of a sudden, we were talking one day, and his, his father-in-law had had a stroke, and his mother-in-law had a tumor. And I'm like, dude, what is up with your, your, your wife's parents? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, they're always so sick. He said, oh, well, the challenge is this. He goes, you cannot have a diet consisting heavily of rice. Yeah, It'll turn you into diabetic. And I was like, what? I had no clue. And he goes, oh, yeah, they're both diabetics. Dude, these guys are both thin. They both, they're not overweight. Um, and yet she just passed, her mother just passed away last year. Her dad's just had a stroke, mm-hmm. another one, all brought on by rice. And I thought initially, hey, fish and rice, what a great diet. You know, it's, you're going you're gonna to maintain your weight. It's going to be, no, it's the worst thing in the world. Mm. Even, you know, it's like one other pointless, useless type of information is horses that, that stay out in the field for 20 years and eat just nothing but grass, they will turn into diabetics because grass is a carbohydrate. Right. So it's the carbohydrates that end up being bad for us across the board. You know, when you look at, I would think that rice and fish would be a great diet, but mm-hmm. eh, no. Yeah, this guy, Dom, that I've had on here multiple times, he's a uh, nutritional biologist, and uh, his main focus of study, it well, it began, it's mainly nutrition, but uh, it began with uh, the study of the ketogenic diet, which is basically extremely low-carb diet, high-fat. So it's, it's like high-fats, meats, um, he did the study of the ketogenic diet on oxygen toxicity seizures. So Navy SEALs, when they use those rebreathers, right. those, those, uh, those, um, Drager rebreathers. Yep. Yeah. The, the rebreathers, they don't, they don't have the bubbles like a, right. like, a, like a normal, uh, dive tank. You have the bubbles that come out and they let you know, you can see where people are. So the rebreathers let, let them be covert under the water. Um, but if you do it for too long, they can get oxygen toxicity seizures. So the studies that he the studies that he did was putting these Navy SEALs on strict ketogenic diets, keeping them in ketosis, meaning that they're getting all of their energy, their body is getting all of their energy from ketones instead of uh, glucose. 
So that comes from fat. So from burning fat instead of carbs. And what that did was that reduced the oxygen toxicity seizures. Really? Then they moved that into epilepsy. So now what they're doing is they're treating people with epilepsy who get epileptic, epileptic, easy for you to say, epileptic seizures. (laughs) They're treating them with, with ketogenic diets and they're putting people on keto and it's completely curing them and completely cut, like eliminating their seizures. It's incredible how, how, how much benefit that has on the human body. And which is amazing because if you really think about it, man, the, most of those fats are coming from animal fats. When I started going back and looking, it was funny. I led, I had nothing but a keto diet growing up as a kid. That's all I ate. I ate primarily meat, potatoes, and that was it. I didn't eat anything, anything else. And I loved the fat, grisly part of the steak. So it was funny. As a kid growing up, um, guys would go, man, dude, you are ripped. You are just, there's not an ounce of fat on your body. And I never took into consideration other than just, and I was a skinny guy. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, you were a fucking, you were a machine when you were like younger. You yeah, were, dude, I, and, do you have a picture of yourself when you were, yeah, we gotta be, we gotta be able to pull it up. You got, can you send it to me? I can put it on the screen. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> All right. So, and, and it was kind of funny, but because I never thought about my diet being that diet. And then obviously when I married a great woman, who's an Italian, dude, she's a great cook, but she loves that pasta. Mm-hmm. And I learned real quick that pasta is bad news, baby, for my girlish figure. So I couldn't keep the weight off of me by eating all the carbohydrates. So obviously I needed to change and started look, looking at some things differently and started looking at the keto diet again and understanding that your body would prefer to burn certain animal fats over sugar. But if you eat the sugar, it will, eat the, it will take the sugar first before it uses the right. fat. Right. So you're not getting a true... Um, a true nutritional value mm. from having that. So I've gone more to the keto now, um, which, you know, again, you, oh, you shouldn't be eating red meat and all this. I said, listen, it, I mean, I, if I eat too much of this, I'm going to die. If I eat too much of that, I'm going to die. I'm going right. to, listen, I'm going to leave the planet a happy guy one way or the other right. eating good red meat. So, right. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good for you. Um, I mean, obviously everything in moderation is good for you. But, um, you know, even people that are extremely overweight who have transitioned into a low-carb or keto diet, they really, they see their fat just melts melt off. It melts oh, off. Oh, it does. When you're on an all-fat diet. And it's not, you know, they don't have to go to the gym. They don't have to do this, you know, these crazy workouts. Like, right. Listen, all you need to do is pick up your activity. I think I showed you those pictures of the man's legs. It was a 40-year-old runner. He was a triathlete. And you looked it down on his legs, and they gave you the, a cut version of what the muscle looks like all around the bone of the leg. Yeah. And the, the bone below that was a 76-year-old guy who wasn't doing anything. He was sedentary, mm. just sitting there doing nothing. Right. You saw the difference in the muscle growth, and then it showed the 70-year-old who was running triathlons that looked the same as the, 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 the uh, 40-year-old guy. So it's amazing what diet will do for you. But you have first to understand what your body type is and what best works for you. And also weightlifting. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, you could, you could see on that thing that you sent me, the bone density, too. Was so much different. You know what I'm saying? Now you don't have to worry about a fall and breaking your hip. Right. Um, and so many people give in to this. I mean, uh, now they're doing hormone therapy replacement, which I recommend to anybody out there today. If you want to really feel good about yourself, talk like to your doctor. Like testosterone, like TRT? Bingo. Uh, what a game changer it is. And some guys are worried, well, you know, hey, listen, my testosterone levels will get back up. I don't want to have roid rage. I'm like, listen... As a kid, your, your testosterone's eleven or around level 900, maybe 1,000. As you get older, mine was down to 550, and the doctor said, hey, I can put you on hormone replacement. Oh, my God, what a difference. Really? Now, it was only 200 milligrams, so I was still under the 900. I was at 750, mm-hmm. 750 milligram. So I didn't have to worry about roid rage or being angry or, you know, 
as a kid when I had fooled around with these things, uh, you had roid rage. I'd be at 900 and then take this oh, on top of that. Am I, Isn't that really bad for you when you're a kid to take that stuff? Uh, I'm sure it is. I mean, I, I, I heard that when you're young and your body's naturally producing it, when you take exogenous testosterone, it, it inhibits your naturally producing ability. Which I believe, I believe that to be a true statement as well. I mean, you don't see many guys that are on steroids bodybuilding that are 15 or 16 years old. Right. Typically told, hey, wait till your body fully matures and then get on those those enhancing drugs. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, steroids were not made for healthy people. You know what I'm saying? So they use them now for muscle development and growth. Um, and you can become a monster, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're pre-genetically disposed to be a big guy. Um, I've seen some guys who never lifted a weight in their life and they look like a bodybuilder. You know, you look at the three different types of men, you have mesomorph, ectomorph, and endomorphs, three different types of body for males, and each of those are completely different. You know, one's heavily in muscle, one is extremely thin, and then you've got the, you know, kind of the middle that kind of falls in, into both patterns. He's muscly but thin, but again, primarily they're completely different animals yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and I don't, when you look at, let's say, like Navy SEALs, you look at certain guys like that that are just genetic freaks mm-hmm. where they can take the cold water and it just doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I, dude, I get in, look at, look at cold water and I get seized up. Right. Like, oh, I don't want to get in that shit. But yeah. and listen, they say it's really good for you as well, though. You should have a nice cold shower, a nice bath. Mm-hmm. The body enjoys that and there's some really benefits from it. Yeah. For taking shit like, like testosterone replacement, like what are some of the benefits of taking that shit? Dude, I will tell you this. You recover faster. Um, I had a problem with some dental work that I had done and the, the dentist said, Hey, listen, they didn't pull my wisdom teeth when I was in the military because they were too badly impacted. And they said, hey, listen, are those bothering you? And I'm like, no, he goes, we're just going to leave them alone. Mm. So later, I had to have one of them removed. And he goes, like, I talked to one of the doctors who said, hey, listen, unfortunately, I'm going to break your jaw when I pull that tooth out because there's such a thin layer of bone below that. The tooth is taking up most of the bone for that jaw. So I'm like, oh, man, the last thing I want to have is a broken jaw. I'm going to have to wire it shut. And then you're going to be sucking on straws. So I went out and found another doctor who, who said, hey, listen, I can pull that out without breaking it and saving you a lot of pain and problems over the long term. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he pulled it. Um, he said, hey, I can see the nerves. They decided not to put a piece of bone graft in there because he was afraid that bone graft would grow around the nerve and strangulate it. So he goes, hey, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. So I went back a couple of weeks later, and now I'm on my testosterone regimen, and I went back, and he put me under the, the uh, x-ray, and he's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, uh-oh, you know, nothing good follows that. What's up? He's like, dude, the, the jawbone has almost completely filled itself back in. Wow. So the healing factor... I told him, I said, I'm on testosterone. I wonder if that would have something. He goes, oh, absolutely. That definitely makes you heal faster. That's interesting. Across the board. Have you ever heard of a book called Breath? It's by this guy, James Nestor, and he does. He did this study on, um, on human skulls and the jaws of humans specifically and their whole teeth structure over like hundreds of years okay and he dug up like the skulls and the bones of all these people in in france and in these tombs and he found out that people like back in the day before processed foods they had way bigger jaws they were like 30 percent bigger wow their teeth were bigger their jaws were bigger their whole facial structures were like completely different because they weren't eating the processed foods that we're eating. Because right now the problem is that we're eating there's all these processed foods and all the soft foods that we're eating less and less people are eating meat now 
And it's it's contributing to this decay in facial and bone density. Interesting. And the jaws are getting smaller and they look at, you know, you'll see some people. He also does a big study on like the difference between nose breathing and mouth breathing. And a lot of people now that breathe out of their mouths, they have like these receded jaws. They have fucked up teeth. And that's also, which a lot of dentists don't even talk about, one of the biggest cause of tooth decay in cavities is mouth breathing. People really? sleeping, breathing through their mouths. And uh, this guy did studies on himself where he taped his mouth shut for a month and, and slept just breathing through his nose. And then he did it the opposite, taped his nose shut and just breath and just breathed through his mouth. And he he basically like quantified all the effects from like wow. cogni- cognitively at how he felt, monitored his like HRV, his heart rate, everything like like biometrically and um, found, you know, crazy crazy things and benefits of breathing through your nose and to chewing like chewing stuff with your teeth like meat and and you know how it affects bone density in the jaw and um it was just fascinating the book's called breath and uh it was really interesting to show like how humans have evolved from hundreds of years ago to the food from the foods we were eating and yeah, it was fucking wild. No, and like I say, when you look at the, in the bigger picture of it, nutrition is such a big part of what we do. You know, when I, I go back and look at some of the fats now that I've obtained, some of the ways that we have changed our eating habits, I told you, pasta is good, but it's all processed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like what it does to my body. When you eat a starch, it turns it into a sugar, and yep. then your body releases insulin to store that away. And so that was always a challenge for me. But now that I've kind of changed my diet up, um, I've started to lose a lot of that that sloppy fat weight that's on the outside. Now, again, this is all uh, part of the testosterone regimen as well. Mm-hmm. But you can control your weight easier. I feel better. You you any issues that come up tend to heal faster and quicker across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, also, I, I find a great doctor. That's I've got a great doctor here in Florida. He's a super guy. Um, he's really involved with my day to day activities. He uh, I see him every three months. Go back. We talk about where I'm at now, where I was at then. Um, and it's like I say, man, it is an absolute game changer when you talk mm-hmm. about leading a great, you know, quality of life without having to worry about all the aches and pains that are associated with being 60. Yeah. You know, I never thought, first of all, I never thought I'd be 60. Like, well, if I knew I was going to live this long, I'd take better <laughs> care of myself. But I think, it, you know, at the end of the day, I got a lot of people come up to me and go, damn, dude, you are 60. You look great for 60. You look 40. You know, yeah, if I can shave 20 years off, off looking older, I'm happy about that. You know, that yeah. quality of life. I love the, the outdoors. I'm still... Um, I still go to the gym. I'm still involved. I like to, you know, do simple things, wash my car, cut my grass, clean my pool. Without the normal everyday aches and pains that so many other people go through, you know, this process of becoming just a better human being at the end yeah. of the day. It's funny. Lexi always shows me these videos on TikTok of these girls who uh, they go to like Germany or Italy and they're going to the grocery stores. And there's so much more like raw foods, like whether it be meats or vegetables. Oh, yeah. It's so much cheaper. Oh, yeah. To get like raw, unprocessed, healthy foods at way more affordable prices. And it's, it's just better for you. I mean, listen, we, we had ran into a couple one night. We were Because they're, they're, they're incentivized to keep their people healthy because sure. they have socialized medicine there. Absolutely. Well, gluten. Listen, you can't cook with gluten overseas. Like we, I met some guys who were here from uh, Italy. Me and Donna were out one night having dinner. And my sister-in-law had pointed out my stomach when he goes, hey, you're gluten intolerant because my stomach was sticking way out. I thought, no, I'm just full. She's like, no, no, no. Your stomach doesn't pop out like that because you're full. It's popped out like that because you're gluten intolerant. And I was like, you know, whatever. You're not a doctor. You're not what you're talking about. So sure enough, about two years later, I was asking the doctor about it. He goes, oh, we can do a test on you. Probably gluten intolerant because a lot of people are. Sure enough, 
gluten intolerant. So talking, having this conversation, the woman goes, hey, if I can chime in, I hear you guys talking. Gluten is illegal in Europe. We can't use that. It's illegal? Illegal. So I said, what? I mean, I said, wow, you, that, sounds, that sounds crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, I said, well, so let me ask you this. What, what else would you? fucking spaghetti all over pasta. Whatever, I mean, all over Italy. Bingo. But they, she said what they do is they use um, egg yolk instead of gluten. She goes, now, the problem is that the egg yolk is more expensive than the gluten. Huh. So he goes, that's why we don't use it. And that's why America does use it because you guys have such an unbelievable marketplace here that people just eat that and don't give it any consideration. Mm. Uh, we have the pharmaceutical industrial complex here. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So I think at the end of the day, when you start taking into consideration what you're eating, if you really don't become a student of what it is, they've now got a, there's now a company out there that if you have um, certain conditions when you eat certain foods, they'll actually be able to tell you what foods not to eat. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, hey, if I was suffering from Crohn's disease, that would be the first thing I would want to know. Um, my secretary that had this, her son would eat certain types of, of uh, foods that had those little seeds on top, like the buns. Yeah. And those seeds would get into the fold of his stomach. Yeah, those seeds are really bad. And it'd be a... Now, back up, you know, when McDonald's first came out and cooking those, there was no problems like that. Right. So what's in those seeds today that if they got into a fold of your intestines would infect it and possibly even have to make you have that part of your intestines cut out? Mm. So... I think when you start looking again at the food, what you're eating, how your digesting system works, what's going on, is going to determine, hey, whether I'm going to have a great life as I get older or I'm not. Mm. And I've tried to really moderate. Like there's certain foods that just uh, inflame my joints on my arms. Yeah. Um, there's just some foods I just can't eat that have I, whatever the chemical is in them, it just bothers me to no end. So I've gone back to my basically steak, you know, potato, and maybe a green bean. Um, I found out here recently what a what a uh, blessing magnesium is and how it affects your body. Um, it actually helps you sleep, mm-hmm. which I was like, what? So I've, I've got back on a regimen of magnesium now. Does, your body doesn't produce that. We need to have that you know, b- brought in through eating. So they make it um, in a uh, vitamin-type capsule, and I've been taking that. Again, notice some great, actually sleeping harder. Um, getting more, feeling more rested at the end of the night. Mm. Yeah, rest is a sleep is a huge thing, and uh, sleep is also a big part of um, testosterone too. Absolutely, the more sleep you have, the higher your testosterone. testosterone is. And when you don't get enough sleep, that fucks you up like every single way chemically. Well, you know, it's funny, man. Kind of getting off track here, but talking to some friends of mine about sleep deprivation. Um, these guys were working overseas. They were special operations guys, and they had uh, come in contact with some Taliban leaders. And so I made a joke to them. Oh, hey, you're going to waterboard these guys? And they all start laughing like, dude, you've been reading too many Tom Clancy's books. We don't do that anymore. There's just no more waterboarding. How long ago was this? This is probably three years ago, two years ago. So I said, I laughed. I said, well, let me ask you, because these dudes, let me tell you something, bro. The Taliban leadership, they look hard. These guys, they didn't care they were in jail. They still look mean. There was no looks on their face like, please let me out. They were like, you know, bitch, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to start killing Americans again. Mm -hmm. And so you're watching these guys. Um, as they uh, showed again how hard they were. So I said, let me ask you this. How are you going to get a, a guy like that to talk? And he said, through sleep deprivation. Mm. And I said, so I don't understand. He said, well, come here. So he brings me back to a room. And what they do is they, they have a, it's a small 10 by 10 room, has a metal bed and a metal toilet. In the corners are these speakers that are buried into the wall. And he goes, what I do is I play the sound of 10,000 rabbits that are being slaughtered for three days at maximum volume. <clears throat> and he goes, they will tell me anything I want to know. They actually tell me things I didn't even ask them about at that point. Because if you go, I, he goes, we've gone to five days and actually killed somebody. 
So you can't sleep is that important at the end of the day. You need good sleep right. and good rest. Um, so you again, that's going to be essential to having good health as well. So I I started looking at that real hard, and especially with me taking testosterone now, um, having a hard time sleeping. But when I wake up at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, I'm not tired. It's not like I'm waking up like, oh man, I need to go back to bed. Um, I could actually start my day and get to work, mm. you know, and make things happen early. And sometimes yeah. I do that. I'll just get up and get on my computer and start doing some work in the morning. I forget who it was, but it was one of the guys who was at Guantanamo was interviewed, and they, he was talking about like what you were talking about, the sleep deprivation and playing the music. Oh, yeah. No, oh, you yeah. know what this was from? I, th- I believe this was from a podcast I listened to called, uh, it was called like The Other Latif, and it was about this guy named Latif uh, Nasir that was put in Guantanamo. Um, and they asked him, or he said in an interview, after having to listen to like Barney, they would put like, they would blast the Barney theme song for days and days and days. He would go, if somebody asked you before having to experience it, would you rather be castrated or listen to, ba- with no, with no painkillers or listen to Barney at full blast for a week? He goes, after doing it, I would rather be castrated with, with no fucking painkillers. <laughs> Cause you know, it's over with in a yes, certain period of time. Yes. It's crazy, man. The stuff they do and, and the enhanced interrogation program too. I have a guy actually. I'm supposed to be having on here soon was one of the CIA psychologists who was paid $80 million to develop the enhanced interrogation program. Wow. And he lives right here in Sarasota. And, uh, that's going to be an interesting, he was one of the two guys that were in charge of developing that inter- that interrogation program after nine 11 with the waterboarding and all that stuff. So, you know, too, they still haven't brought those guys up on, on any trials yet. All the guys that committed the nine uh, 11 atrocities. They're all still in Guantanamo Bay. Right, yes, None they of them are. Going back to- they are. I don't know what the latest is on that, but um yeah, they I don't know what's going on with that, but they they that trial has been delayed for forever. It's been twenty years now. I mean I'm like not that listen, not that I think they deserve a speedy trial. I just thought it was interesting that they haven't gone to trial. It yet. is weird, right? I mean it just kind of lends itself to some of the other things we've discussed in the past with, you know, is this a real event that Dude, took place? I just watched this oh my god. Have you what's the guy's name who killed bin Laden? Um well, there's two guys. There's the redhead guy who who was the first, the guy who actually shot him in the face. Yeah, I forget what his name is, but I just watched a podcast with him, and he was basically he was walking uh, he was walking us through the whole when they went into that building that Bin Laden was in, and how they were like walking up the front, they were walking up the stairs to get to the top level, right, and. When he saw Bin Laden, he said he had one of his wives, like he was holding onto her shoulders and like using her as a human shield. Right. And his two-year-old son was on the bed and um, he shot him. And they're asking about like the photos of Bin Laden, right? Like the photos online. You can see, you can find photos of him after he was shot. And the guy who was interviewing him was like, so those photos aren't real. Like, are those photos legit? That's the guy. What's his name? Robert O'Neill. Robert O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, Rob O'Neill. He goes, he's like, he goes, oh no. He goes, I shot him in the eyeball. I shot him right through the eye three times from six feet away with a 40 caliber or a, I forget what what type of bullet it was, but it was a high powered fucking rifle. Sure. He said he shot him three times. He goes, his face from his nose up was completely V'd. 
He goes, he goes, which I is possible. Him, he goes, I shot him from six feet away with a fucking massive, massive rounds. Sure. He goes, the, his, his face was unrecognizable. He's like, when we were taking the photos to send them back to the Pentagon or to send them back to their commanders or whatever, he was holding bin Laden's head together. He had to hold his head together with both hands while they poured water on top of his head. To, to get off to, all the blood. And to get so off he, all the blood and stuff because it was unrecognizable after they shot him in the face. Yeah. Like, why when they were the, why they had the fake doctored photos of his fucking head? And, you well, know. listen, man, this whole thing gets even more convoluted than that. Even though that um, Rob O'Neill says he did it, there was a book that came out, and a, a guy named Matthew Bissonette, he's also a SEAL that went in there, said that he killed bin Laden. Really? So, yeah. So there's a whole, there's a whole interesting thing about this. Not only that, do they supposedly... When and this is we're going to get off on a tangent here, but supposedly Bin Laden's still alive. He's in Iran. The Iranians at the time that after they after uh, President uh, Obama came out and said they killed him, called them and said, "This is the Iranians calling calling uh, Osama or not Osama Bin Laden, but calling Obama and saying, hey, you guys didn't kill him. We have him right here. You better pay us five hundred gazillion dollars, or we're going to release this information and you'll never be president again.'" So supposedly, and there was this large, massive amount of money, and I want to say it was like five, $500 million or five, some unbelievable amount of money that went to the Iranians that the Obama government sent over there, which I questioned initially. But then one of the stories came out that when they found out they hadn't killed bin Laden, they dumped his body out of a helicopter over the water. Right, I heard, I heard they dipped him off like a like a ship or something. Well, this this I heard off a helicopter. It was the seals going back after they Maybe, had got uh, him on the now? Was what it ha- that was a proper burial for him for a Muslim well, or something? They say that, but that's not how you bury a Muslim. For sure, that's not how you bury a Muslim. That's huh. a daylight burial. You have to be they have to be buried in the same in a, in, a, in a direction. I think it's to the west, um, which points to um, their religion and their church. Mm-hmm. Which just there's a whole other process to it. But when he talked about this. The first thing you do, and they did this with um, Saddam Hussein. Now, listen, they took Saddam Hussein from his side. They brought him over. They hung him by the neck. Right. We saw him getting executed. Saw him get him executed. There's autopsies. But they do a DNA scrape on him also. Right. To confirm that that's who this was. They did not do that with bin Laden. Which is weird, right? It's very weird. Why? So I've never, I've never, I've asked many people, even CIA people, John Kiriakou, I had him in here, and I've never had a convincing reason, convincing, like, like, like okay, like a reason, a, a reasonable w- explanation to unless why. it wasn't him, unless it wasn't. So yeah, they that's said crazy to say, like to say they they, fuck, they didn't fucking kill him. I mean, it's well, just why is there two seals that claim they killed him? I've never I, heard about the other guy. Oh yeah, like I said, he actually uh, Matthew Bessonet came out with a book, and he uses a different name as kind of a like a. a uh, What's the word I'm looking for? He Did used, he claim he was on the same team that went in with? Oh yeah, with. Uh, oh yeah, he's a seal. This guy's our true seal. The whole so nine he yards. was with O'Neill. Yeah, had they ever asked O'Neill about this guy? Well, see, that's the whole thing. They have. I, there's another seal program that's on 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 YouTube, and they brought these guys in. and They were talking about this, and I said, "Listen, bring these guys in. Bring B- Bissonette in and and, and uh, O'Neill. Let's find out where they were at in the building. Where were you at in the stack? The stack being, you know, the the, the guys standing in line before you make interest into the building. Yeah. So. I mean, if you can tell us where you were at in the building, that's going to tell us whether you shot Bin Laden or not. So, but they won't bring these two guys together, and I keep egging them on. Bring these guys on the show and ask them where they were. Stop. We won't have to guess right. anymore, right? Right. Because I promise you, we're going to find out exactly where they were mm-hmm. in the stack. Mm-hmm. So, and at that point, we'll be able to find out who actually killed him. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, when just before Trump got out of office, there was this whole 
leak from the CIA about this guy who was a living in Saudi Arabia. He was living with royalty. He's an American, and he's a falconeer. Falconeering is real big over in Saudi Arabia. And he came out and was one of these guys was saying, oh, there's a lot more going on here. Falconeer. I mean, one of the people that, like, fucking fl- falcons fly around that's and land it. on their hands? That's it. Really? That's it. Well, listen, that's a big business over there. Really? Oh, man. we went. Out, I went over there one year. To Saudi Arabia? To Saudi. And we were dealing with the prince. And so we were selling him guns. And they came out. There was, must have been 40 or 50 people out in the middle of the desert. And they let this little animal go. And it took off across the sand and... You know, about a minute later, they let this falcon go, and the falcon swooped down and got it. And these 40 people all started clapping their hands. And I'm looking around like, hey, should we be clapping? I don't clap anyway. Yay. I don't understand what the hell I'm looking at. It's, <coughs> excuse me. The, um, they, they said, hey, listen, the, the prince wants to see the guns. So I, <coughs> we got the guns together, brought them over to him. Well, when you fire these things, they have a tendency to rock you back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I stuck my hand up behind his shoulder just so it wouldn't rock him back. And I touched him when he shot the gun. And two guys broke out of line and started running at me. And he screamed something at them. And the handler that was there turned to me and goes, don't you ever touch the prince again. Those guys were coming over here to kill you. Don't you ever put your hands on him again. What prince was this? Uh, Prince, I'll have to go back and look now. There was two of them that were there. Um, And he was the, there's like, dude, there's like, like 500 princes there, which was kind of unusual as well. It's not like the prince, he was breastfed from King Fossil's wife, and there was a whole story behind it. Even when we, we finished up that day, and we had gone back to... So it wasn't Ben Salman? What's that? Ben Salman, yeah, exactly. Now, it was... I don't... I can't remember all the details on it now. But we went back to the facility after the fact, and I was sitting down, because I crossed my legs, I was sitting at the end, and chocolate over there is majorly expensive, because there is no place to get chocolate from hmm. over there. So I was eating this chocolate, and I had crossed my legs, and two of the commanding officers that were both um, Iraqis, or excuse me, Saudis, had a fit because I was showing them the bottom of my shoe. And they were down there, you know, bitching at me about, and I'm like, I don't understand what he's saying. The other yeah. guy's like, hey, put your foot down, put your foot down. They don't want to see the bottom of your shoe. It's a big big offense. Huh. So I don't want to. So there was some things I was learning there that were kind of odd um, that they do from from a cultural perspective. Yeah. But again, trying to look at the overall, like I say, with that that day touching him, um, even when we were there, the females had just were able to start driving cars, mm. and the Muslim Brotherhood was going around and shooting these girls who were driving cars. So it was mm. it created its own problems, you know, right. internally with the country. Right. But um, it it was interesting again to see what the take is on this whole Bin Laden thing. You know, which of the seals killed him. Um, what's the story there? Because it was even odd. Do seals typically don't come out and talk about the operation? So that was even kind of weird. So yeah. you know, it was just odd. You do, so I mean, is it a smokescreen? Are they just trying to make us really convinced that they really killed this guy? Um, at the end of the day, why they didn't do a DNA scrape on him is above and beyond me, which is, just adds to the whole story. But mm-hmm. then it doesn't sound real. You know, why would the government do that? I don't know why the government would do that. I don't know mm-hmm. if the, if we really do have a thing going on with the Iranians. Um, you know, I, yeah. The story just goes on and on and on and on with all types of, of hype and, you know. Uh, the thing about it is, is like it get, the, the, the whole topic, when you start talking about stuff that's not like official and stuff that's like doesn't, that goes against like the common narrative is that there's, the problem is there's so many conspiracies. Oh yeah. That are real. Oh yeah. There's so many conspiracies Absolutely. that are fucking real, especially when it comes to our government and the CIA. Like if you talk about like MK Ultra or the Absolutely. stuff that Kennedy talked about, 
Um, and, and all of the fucking crazy shit, the Iran-Contra and, and all the people that were murdered, conspiracies are real. Sure. So, conspira- but conspiracy theories have the stigma. And the conspiracy theory, and that only benefits the people who commit the, that commit the conspiracy. Yeah, rock on, brother. That's exactly it right. It only benefits. It does. And it confuses the issue because it makes you go, well, wait a minute. Why would these people lie to us about certain events? I mean, like the whole, you know, bin Laden thing. Yeah. Um, there was some oddities with the the actual. I this came up in a uh, conversation with one of the guys here. The tail rotor of a helicopter was left unburned, and that, and what happened was it crashed coming in to landing in the, in the right. Okay, so it crashed, and the tail rotor got broke off on the other side of the fence, mm-hmm. so it didn't catch fire. One of the guys said, "What's really odd about this is that the the actual um, blades on the tail rotor fan." that keep the helicopter from spinning, we're not damaged. And I said, is that, is that odd? He goes, dude, they are always, I mean, they're moving. Everything's back there is moving. It's, it's, there's, I've never seen a tail rotor survive a crash ever until I saw all this. Really? So again, it was one of those kind of those weird moments where you're like, well, hold on a second. He didn't know about the two different seals that claimed to kill him. They didn't mm-hmm. know about some of the other uh, it, things that were not necessarily true or were not true about killing bin laden mm-hmm. and so it was you know when you start asking him well do you think that they did this and he was like no i mean why would they do that well you're t- bringing up this tail rotor thing and telling me how it wasn't damaged i said do you th- think it was just laid there yeah and he's like well, i'm just telling you that it's unusual out of all the helicopter crashes i've investigated i've never seen a tail rotor that wasn't damaged ever mm-hmm. so and he goes this thing was actually coming in for a landing and i guess the problem was that there was a, a concrete uh, structure. It was like a fence around the yeah, property. It was a concrete wall around the whole property. And as they were landing, the down push of the air came back up the sides and went back over to down the chopper again, and it lost its ability to stay hovering. Mm-hmm, right. And so it, and it crashed, and all the none of the seals were killed. But they ended up having to burn that vehicle up because it was a right before they took stealth, off stealth. Yeah, I believe it was a, some sort of stealth chopper that they had were indicating that they needed to burn up, and mm-hmm. so they did. Mm-hmm. And um, but again, when you looked at it, so it's just it's. Even like I say, we go look at nine eleven. You look at all these con- these conspiracies or the things that took place, um, the UFO crash in Brazil, and then you start talking to guys there. Well, there was something that happened, but nobody can confirm what it was, and so you're you're left kind of to make your own decision as to what what your belief revolves around those particular incidents. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I've always been a conspiracy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when the when the story doesn't match to what the conversation is, there's a problem there. What was JFK's speech about secret societies? Do you remember that? He well, I'll tell you what. Not only was he a secret society guy, the one of the reasons he was and, warning about secret societies, and he wanted to across disband, the board. He wanted to disband the CIA completely. He was definitely not the 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 internal groups that were protecting the U.S. were not satisfied with Kennedy because Kennedy was trying to share information with all the rest of the world. According to the story that. They actually had a name for him, and I can't think of the name that the uh, Secret Service would call him by his by this name. I think it was called Spencer. And they said, "Hey, this document was actually burned in a fire, and somebody had pulled it out." And it said, "In this was talk from a terrestrial group within the government that said, "Hey, Spencer is not cooperating. Spencer's starting to ask too many questions about our objectives and what we're doing. If he gets any closer, we're going to need to paint him wet." And the Russians used that terminology as to kill somebody. So when you see this on the paper, you're like, well, wait a minute. If Kennedy was truly killed 
for this reason, then there's a bigger part of the whole assassination plot that was going through. Mm. So I started to, you know, that's kind of what made me go back and kind of look at the, the Kennedy assassination. And there's just some oddities about it with the Secret Service car that's behind him. And when they show you the investigation, they make it look like the Secret Service was just an entity that were protecting the, the president when, in fact, I think they had an active role yeah. in his death. Well, I think most people that, that pay attention to it kind of, like, look at it. It's not really a conspiracy theory anymore. It's kind of like, it's kind of, uh, I don't know if you've watched Oliver Stone's latest film on it, the JFK revisit. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fucking crazy, man. Crazy. Unbelievable. There's no evidence to, per- I mean, there's there's the stack of evidence to show how it was an inside job by the CIA compared to the stack of evidence to say that it was Lee Harvey Oswald as a lone shooting alone is it, it's astounding. Ridiculous. I mean, even here's one of the things I looked at in, in this process. I came across a guy who was a, this guy's a professional expert shooter. He's the one that proved that you could shoot a man like That's the rifle that killed Kennedy. You can squeeze off three shots in six seconds and hit your target. And I talked to this guy, super cool. And I said, so let me ask this, how did you get involved in the investigation? He goes, well, he goes, I started my own investigation because the paper that covered me when I did this in, in uh, outside of D.C. didn't tell them it took me six times to do it. Mm-hmm. So I had to do this, set it up six different times. So listen, he goes, there's no way that, that um, this was done by a lone shooter from, from the top of a roof. Right. So he said, I'm going to show you something. And this was a, it was a video. And it's online. You can find it. It's, a, it's a, uh, a Secret Service guy. They land the car in Dallas. And the two Secret Service agents run out to get on the back of the car, on the car that Kennedy's right, killed in. Right, right. And a third Secret uh, Service officer who's in the follow vehicle tells them to get off the back of the car. And when they get off the back of the car, you can tell they, they weren't briefed on why they're not going to be on the back of the car because they put their hands up and they're like, What's going on? Mm-hmm. Why am I not on the back of this car? So then if you read the warrant report, the warrant report talks about the, the, war- sec- the warrant commission. The warrant commission talks about uh, Lee Harvey, Os- or not Lee Harvey Oswald, but the uh, Secret Service going in. They said, hey, listen, we're taking the president's body back to D.C. You need to pack him. This is after right. he died. They brought him, at first they brought him to a hospital there in Dallas. Correct. And they, they immediately took him away. Well, because he died. And obviously the massive head injury that he had was, oh, yeah. he wasn't going to survive that. Mm-hmm. So the Secret Service went in and said, hey, you need to package this, the, the president up. We're taking him out of here. And the surgeon said to him, the doctor said, hey, he's not leaving Dallas. There was a murder done. There's going to be an investigation. And the Secret Service pulled his jacket away from his pistol and looked at the doctor and said, package his body up. We're taking him with us. Right. Uh, one of the other x-ray technicians came back. This is also in the Warren Commission mm-hmm. report. And talks about how another Secret Service agent, he goes, now I'm 21. This Secret Service agent came into me and handed us some brass, or some uh, uh, lead objects, and wanted him to take a picture with Kennedy's brain and have these fragments be in the, in the photograph. And the guy that came back and said, listen, I'm 21. This is the Secret Service telling me what to do. He goes, I didn't question anything they asked me to right. do. I just went back and did it. Yeah, you're in the middle of something bigger than you want to deal with. You Bingo. You do so, not want to fucking be pushing back against this massive fucking bureaucracy. And again, he's the Secret Service. So that was a different time period for yeah. this. Nobody thought about still that there was anything, no. no collusion going on, that Kennedy was killed by something else. Other, Oh, you know, he was killed by the Russians. Oh, he was killed by the Italians. Oh, he was killed by... You know, whomever. Right. But the interesting thing was, when as I started to go back and review the footage, the Secret Service car that the follow is behind the president is literally two feet from the back of the car when the shooting takes place. Yeah. You would have heard those shots go over your head. 
and there's three there's three agents in the very front of the car who are looking straight ahead, and there's two that are riding on the back of the car, the follow car, and they're, they're the, their heads turned back towards the the shooting where where the book depository was, but the other three are have sunglasses on and they're staring at Kennedy intently, and it's just odd because you don't really realize how close the car is. So if they had, would have taken the first shot, that bullet would have gone right over the top of their car. The cracking sound of that bullet moving at the speed of sound or faster than makes a cracking noise. They would have heard that going over their head, and there would have been more going on with them at that point in time than it would have been if they didn't hear the shot at all. So the bullet that went into his head that blew off the back of his skull, where did that enter? Did that, did that go up through his neck, or did that? where did it enter? Well, they're saying it came from behind him. Right, the, the official report says it came from behind him, but it's clear the back of his skull blew off. Sure. Which means it came from the front. Which, But then he also got shot through the neck, right? Because he goes like that. Right. That was the first shot. First shot, they said, went through the back of his neck, through him, through the front seat in the front, hit Governor Conley in the back, traveled down his came arm. Came through his arm, right? Hit him in the wrist and stopped in his wrist. Right. And the weird thing was the bullet was pristine. Mm-hmm. There was no, no marks on the bullet, which is really bizarre to have it go through two people and not have any marks the one be that was flattened in his out. Wrist? What's that? The one that it finished up on his wrist it was called the pristine bullet. It was actually on the gurney. The magic it, bullet. The magic bullet. Well, it was the magic bullet? Wasn't the one that went in his wrist? Right. The magic bullet was supposed to be placed there. The one that went in his wrist. They ha- they had to have pulled that out, right? No, that's no? what I say. They didn't. Pull oh, it. they never kept that. They never. Oh. What, what they did was when they brought him in on the gurney. The bullet was already on the gurney. It was laying there next to him. Right. So again, that was kind of those weird things, but nobody questioned that. I mean, you know, the, the government wasn't capable of of being this cynical. Right. So I don't think anybody said, oh, well, it just passed through his body. So they were trying to show how a bullet could actually do that. Yeah, there it is. Oh, there you go, right there. I mean, come on, man, look at that thing. Yeah. That passed through two bodies, broke his wrist. Yeah. And, and uh, so you can even see there's the drawing below it. So the one that, that blew the back of his skull off, that one came up through, like, the jaw or something? Or no, it, it, well, it, well, they say from behind. Now, if it was the grassy knoll shot. But it blew the back of his skull off. Right. Now, keep in mind, too, man, your head, like a watermelon, water doesn't compress. That's why guys' heads blow up when you shoot them with a gun, with a high-powered rifle. Same thing with you shoot a watermelon. The water doesn't compress, so your head's going to pop. Right. And um, when, when you see he initially gets shot, Jackie Kennedy is sitting next to him, and she jumps up out of her seat and grabs something that's on the trunk of the car. Part of his head, yeah. That's part of his skull, So, which is kind of weird in itself. You're like, well, why would you run out and grab that? And, of course, I don't know what people do when you hit an emergency like that. Anything's possible. But immediately, the, you, so you see the Circuit Service jump up, and he jumps on the car, and they tell the guy to get out of there. So I just think there's too many weird things with the Secret Service through the Warrant Commission report that point to those guys, and they try to stay off the radar. They, they, they try not to show their car. They try not to have any information. They yeah. try to, And one of the agents that was initially going to be sued keeps threatening to sue this guy who did the testing on the, uh, on the ballistics, mm-hmm. and he t- keeps telling this guy, this is the former Secret Service agent, good, bring me to court. I want you to bring me to court because the truth will come out when we when we do this. And so he's never gone to court yet for the state. Cra- the crazy thing about the latest documentary, we got to wrap it up soon. You got like a minute left. Cool. Um, but uh, the, the craziest thing about um, Oliver Stone's latest documentary, JFK Revisited, is that they sh- they talked to uh, one of the people at the hospital that they brought him to first in Dallas, and one of the girls who actually knew him, like like had been around him before, and she was she talks about how emotionally distraught she was when they brought him in because. They, she she explains how his cerebral fluid and parts of his brain were like oozing and dripping out like all over the fucking the tray underneath sure. his head, but then miraculously after they brought him to D.C. they have his fucking brain and they weighed his brain and his brain weighed more than what the average brain weighs intact. 
And now that, after his fucking head got blown uh-huh. off. And here's the creepy part, dude. They still don't know where his brain's at today. Right. That's an ongoing. So again, it's just those little moments like that. They go like, hey, what's really going on here in the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. You know, listen, 9-11. We've got, you go back to uh, Pearl Harbor. You go back to all these major events that take place in the world. And there's always some sort of dark information that kind of follows them around as well. And I don't know, you know, is this the, is this the world bank talking? Is this, there's like <laughs> six or seven families that are really running the world. I, you know, the joke was that I heard that the, uh, it's the lizard people that, I mean, is it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so when you take into consideration due to all the things that are going on around the world, it's all paranormal comes down to some sort of either UFO based information, um, you know, about running the planet and doing all these, crazy things to you know bring down the population but it just never seems to go away and like i say dude when you look at today you got what 20 different shows that are on right now that you know deal with bigfoot and uh classified documents and fear in the woods and beyond the unknown and all these different shows and each show shows you a little bit of something and if like i say if you watch them long enough you start to see this wait wait a minute there's a why is this going on and uh you know again listen why why are we having this conversation today it's so interesting it's so amazing um there's an awakening that's going on around the world and i think the people that wake up and kind of see some of the things that are going on now are looking at them much more intently than they were just 10 years ago well mike thank you for doing this i definitely have way more questions than i have answers after talking to you um we got to get you back in here soon Dude, let's do it again. I appreciate you having uh, me on the show again. And like I say, man, we'll uh, we'll give you an update sometime here in the near future. Hell Thanks yeah. again. You're, you're the official concrete UFO correspondent. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you, everybody. And good night. Take care.